Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Everyday Channel. On today's episode, we have a very special guest. We have my good friend Marius Hausmann from Germany. If you have played Competitive Legacy in the last 10 to 15 years in Europe, Marius probably needs no introduction. But for everyone else, Marius has been one of the most successful grinders on the MKM series. And I want to say, is also one of the best Legacy players I have ever met. There's a chance you don't know about him because he doesn't really publish any kind of content online, except for I think he had an article on Channel Fireball a couple years ago. But mostly he brews to himself and sends us a lot of Facebook messages. <laughs> no, but seriously, Mar Mar Marius is one of the guys you want to talk to when you want to get an unbiased opinion on, on any kind of deck, really. And that's why we invited him. Callum has been enjoying Painter a lot, a real lot. And since I also recently became a certified painter expert uh, after picking up for our league, <laughs> we decided let's invite the guy who's actually been brewing on the stack for the last two years during all of lockdown. And I want to say probably even more, but that's that's when he really went into overdrive. We dedicated a good chunk of the episode, something like 40 to 50 minutes, to talking painter, both the deck in general, as well as the differences between Callum's and Marius' lists. Um, Marius specifically plays Bloodsun, Whereas I think Callum only has the Magus of the Moon, the main deck to fetch in the first place, and instead goes with Orza Sagas. So that's that's a pretty interesting topic. And after that, we dive really deep into the 240 players for Seasons Bologna that just went down the other weekend. There's a lot of interesting deck lists. We look at the top 16, um, specifically five lists that I have selected from them. And spoiler, there is going to be the one deck that half of our Discord has been waiting for ever since it first showed up this summer. Affinity, straight up aggro affinity. Made top 16, we're gonna have it. We're also gonna have Yorian, Urza, Stompy, Karn, whatever you wanna call it. It's, it's basically the most broken thing you could ever imagine. That also top 16, and a lot more. Closing out the show, Callum raises a point about concessions, IDs, DQs, and the consequences drawn from that. Callum and I actually disagree on large parts of the arguments. There's some common ground, but I think it's an important discussion now that paper tournaments are coming back. So enjoy the show and see you again next time. Welcome to Everyday Channel number 111, your favorite, most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast. If you want to support the running of the show, you can chip in on patreon.com slash everydayeternal. Kalum, Kalum, dude, how's it going? How, how, how has your October been thus far? As I said to you just now when we were setting up, like not bad for Monday, you know, it feels very Monday-ish, but I uh, had a pretty fun weekend and um, yeah, October, what have we done? I had, uh, not this weekend just gone, but the one previously, we had our London Monthly, which I'll talk about in a minute as well. So yeah, October's going pretty well. No complaints. But don't you destroy you? the magic. We, we do no setup. Just like, I literally, I just call you and I go, Carlum, Carlum, how's it going? And <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep running the, the recording already. So that's, yeah, there's no preparation or setup or anything on Everyday Tunnels all on the fly. Well, it's, 
Wait, what's the preparation? Yeah, I've, I've no idea. <laughs> you, it's, it's always like, is Julian going to sing at me? Like, God, you need to prepare for everything. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's also why we totally randomly have Marius Hausmann in the call. So, Marius, how's it going? How, how has your week been thus far, these first 17, oh, 22 hours, actually? Ah, hi there, Julian. Yeah, it's not that easy at the moment with the uh, this, my second child now uh, there. And uh, he needs a lot of attention the whole day long, but uh, it's of course he's 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 kind of sweet and uh, he is worth every minute I can spend on him. But oh, uh, <laughs> still quite quite tired Sorry. at the moment <laughs> and uh, not that much looking forward to go back to school on Wednesday when the uh, parent month is over. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So, w w what does your your daughter think about him? Uh, she likes him very much. Uh, she has, at the moment, at least, no problem with him. Um, let's see how this goes on when he starts picking up her stuff <laughs> or taking away uh, her play toys. Okay, so she has not suggested sending him back to the store or something because I've seen a video where like. The older child suggested that, and then uh, th 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 okay, we're going way off topic here. But not yet, was, not yet. Yeah, I definitely did that when I was a child. To my younger brother and sister. <laughs> this was 100%. one of my favorite videos, and I have to totally go off topic here because I watched it last week. There was the, the young, uh, the older child, which was like you know five years old or something, and and she told her mom, you know, our my little brother, I think he's a little off, and we should return him to the store where you got him from and get our money back. And, you know, then when they realize that he's a little bit weird, we can buy him back for less money. And that way we actually make money. And she like, there was a video <laughs> nah, where she suggested only, that to her mother. The only, the only thing she said, she says sometimes is, uh, uh, Daddy, uh, put him away and uh, carry me instead now, please. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> but uh, that's that's all of it. Okay, no, no capitalism going on yeah, but, in the house and family. Uh, back, to, back to uh topic. Um, we had... I have finally played uh, some more Paper Magic this weekend, and it was quite funny to play, uh, um, again, a Magic card tournament for the first one for the last two years, nearly two years. It's crazy, right? I think all of us, we, we've played a lot of Magic, or, or like some of... Well, Callum already started playing earlier, but I also played my first... Actually, my second <laughs> paper tournament <laughs> in, in a long time this weekend. The first one where I actually did well and didn't like totally scrap out. So yeah, it kind of felt like I, I totally like pushed away the thought of the first one. But yeah, I also played one. But um, why don't we start with you, Callum? You you played in one of the most established legacy series in at least Europe right now, right? God, it's crazy to call it that, but it's kind of... Well, when there's not much competition, yes. <laughs> but it also, yeah, we... But no, I, I should I should talk it up. We, uh, we've been like... Playing, we've been doing these LLMs, London Legacy Monthlies, for like five years now, actually. I, I looked up when our first one was, which was January. So in January, come next year, we'll be doing them for five years, which is pretty cool. Um, and as we know, like, so these recent ones have just been selling out. Like, so this last one was sold out and it sold out within like a day or maybe two days. And the one for November sold out in under two hours, which is just insane. So um yeah the squad pass find... already coming right they're trying to resell the tickets <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah there was so many jokes about you know selling a ticket for 10% more or whatever <laughs> but um anyway that's next month this one was really cool again um first of all shout out to a bunch of people that came from like the northern england um we've got uh, Birmingham crew 
There's some old faces, which are great to see again. Wisbit and Al and Rory from up north. Um, special shout out to all of you. Really makes it kind of amazing having not just like the whole London gang, but like everyone, <laughs> like loads of lazy players from all over England, which was fantastic to have. Does Birmingham um, already count as north? Where? Birmingham. Is that already north to you guys? I just call anything not in London north. <laughs> so even if it's south of England, it's just north to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the way the England works. But I mean, it's northern, but it's not yeah. actually actually northern England. And you played? Anyway, um, yeah, sorry to interrupt you there. As I was say, I played really, really sweet uh, Yorian Bomberman list from Canacan. Anyone that's like plays Bomberman probably follows them on Twitter and knows Ka the name Canacan at least from the only crazy person enough to play Bomberman a lot online. Because it's a fucking slog. But um, really sweet deck. Like it's playing obviously white for Oryx Salvages. And it's mostly mono blue. It has all the usual suspects. So it has Emery, Psy, Urza, Thought Monitor, th uh, Thought Casts, and then like loads of baubles and LEDs and walking blisters, obviously. And the deck was amazing. It's it's a Yorian deck, which is, I was like kind of thinking, you know, Yorian with a, in a combo deck is already quite questionable because you you know you're looking for your combo pieces. But God, this deck draws so many cards. With Emery, you're rebuying the thought monitors, and you and uh, the thought monitors and thought casts and stuff is redrawing things. And then with Urza and LED making all this extra mana and soul lands, of course, you're like casting Yorian to blink thought monitors and everything a lot. And then Psy, actually, you draw a lot of cards with as well because you have so many things to sacrifice. So it's a deck that has eight forces main deck as well, four force of will, four force negation. And it really played like a mid-range or in a lot of times control deck. And then I comboed just like late game if I was losing the fair game. So that was that's a good way to look at it. And the deck felt incredibly powerful. I managed to go 4-0 and double ID the last two rounds to top eight. Whoa. Which gave me nice. gave me some time. Gave me some time to cube in the middle as well. It was like the perfect day. <laughs> Go 4-0, get two enough hours to cube with some people, and then play the top eight. Um, top eight, I got killed by by Doomsday, turn two and then turn one with force back up both times. As you do, like, nothing nothing to be um, upset about there. That deck is built to be as powerful as that. But uh, the top eight was really sweet. So we had Death and Taxes twice. Let me... Uh, I should remember. I'm going to look it up. But we had Death and Taxes twice. We had... Uh, Jeskai Sagavan, like uh, with uh, Stoneforge Mystic in second. We also had Doomsday, as I mentioned, from one of the Brummy crew. We had. Doo -doo -doo, one second, I'm almost there. We had so two Death and Texas players came first and third. So Robbie Thandy and Rory Smith in third. And then we had Kieran Randazzo, which one of the Bowman crew, as I said, on Doomsday. Um, we had Juan Carlos, who was on Eldrazi post, like a deck we hadn't seen for a while. And then Julian, you, you kind of said recently, oh, it won a challenge. It came out of nowhere. Juan Carlos is like a London crusher. He basically can play any deck and win with. So that's that's what he does. Uh, then me and Bomberman. Then we had two Blue Red Delvers uh, rounding out with Sean Goddard and Chenzi. Okay, that's a very special um, deck. I've never heard about that. Which one? Blue Red. Blue, what do you call it? Like, like is it oh, Delver? Is it? Is it Delver? No, it's not actually Delver because there's no Delvers oh. in it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they were fairly typical. You got your monkeys, your Dragon Race challenges and stuff. Yeah, the fir first first they they cut two Delver, and it's just a matter of time when uh, probably all four Delver go out of the lists. Uh, just a question to your uh, Bomberman because I like the deck very much. Is this uh, the list with Aetherspawn Canonist in the main? No, I do like Canonist as well because you know you can you can combo through it. But um, the deck is just like, I know it's 80 cards, but I can actually read out right now. It's every single card <laughs> in the main deck, apart from four one-offs, 
to find with Urza Saga as a four of. So you've got Ballista, Embry, Psy, Uruk, Salvages, Urza, Thought Monitor as creatures, Force of Negation, Force of Will, Thought Cast as spells, and then LED, Lotus Petal, Misha's Bauble, Mox Opal, Urza's Bauble. They're all four ofs, and then you have one Expedition Map, one Retrofitter Foundry, one Shadow Spear, one Soul Guide Lantern. That's and nice. And then 20 lands. The 20 lands is like four Ancient Den, four Seat of the Synod, four Razor Tide Bridge, which is the artifact land that comes to play untapped and it's indestructible. And then four Ancient Tomb and four as a Saga. So a blue, um, blue white uh, deck with, uh, without any Tundra. That's really nice. Yep, yeah, perfect. yeah. Perhaps I'll give this a try too because it's, um, I can afford it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to play online because it's, you've got to do the Bomberman combo, but it's also quite a slow, fair deck. So you combo like after playing a, a control game for like the first five minutes. So I don't know. I've played a bit with it and it's, it's tough, but it's incredibly powerful. Um, it's basically a mono blue deck, splash salvages, and you can quite easily. And yep. then the sideboard is just like some four engine explosives and some ley lines and fluster storms and stuff, some removal. Yeah, you, you're actually like really excited about the deck. Like you, you popped in, into our Discord some morning, and mm-hmm. you you were seeing the prizes of the deck, and I've never seen anything like this before. And I think you you even like infected a couple of other people with the bug for the yeah. deck. I wish it was better to play online. I just like I I played a league, and then every opponent was making me play it out, which totally fair. I don't mind that at all. But I just conceded some matches because I was like, you know, in my head, I've won this game. I, d- I don't want to spend 10 minutes just clicking. So I conceded it. So it's a bit of a pain to play that there. But I'm definitely going to play it more in paper. Um, I think it's got massive potential. I really underrated the aspect of having eight forces in a deck that draws so many cards because you do just like, you know, play to the board. You play your Emery or Psy, which can, or Urza, which can like run away with the game. And then you, you force the relevant plays. And then, especially with Urza, you generate a lot of blue mana. You can hard cast the forces very easily. I was having some turns where, like, I remember one game I was against Food Chain, and I Urza's bulbled them, and I saw a Walking Blister in their hand. And then I Misha's bulbled them, and I saw a Food Chain on top of their library. <laughs> and they had a, uh, the 3-3 Eldrazi in play. I was like, oh, shit, I'm dead next turn. I had nothing. So I was just going to like set up for a combo the following turn, but instead I had to play Urza, and then I had like two LEDs, so I got to tap both LEDs, and I had two Thought Monitors in play. So I got to tap both LEDs for blue, then sack them both, making eight mana to get Yorian. Yorian blinked both Thought Monitors and the uh, the Urza, making a second construct, and then the the two Thought Monitors draw me into a force <laughs> and a blue card, force the thing, and then the, the constructs were lethal next turn or something like that. Wow. It's, it, d- it does some things like the deck. I was very skeptical of Yorian because, as I said, like you know, if you're a salvages combo deck, you want to find the salvages, the LED, and the blister. But actually, the deck just counters a lot of stuff until it, until it needs to win. So it's more like like a backup plan, almost like this. This, this is what, what I've always been saying about elves, right? When people tell me elves is a combo deck, I'm like, yeah, like we have two or like one and a half combos in the deck, but it's really more about like having those to punish opponents who, who don't respect them. But most of all, we just like get in there with like one or two creatures every turn and, and draw three cards a turn. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I had a game against blue red Delver where I um, got blood mooned out of the blue and I had like no mana to do anything with apart from one Lotus pedal. So I was like, okay, well I have, I have a salvages. I'm just going to go for it. And they didn't have the answer. They had like a bolt, which doesn't kill it. And then, so it's your like get out of jail free card which you can do. But then I had a, a match against DNT, which we played. We, we, when we were both 4 0 waiting for the cube to start, we played for fun. And uh, I was just like, you know, play a control game, play a control game. 
I got to like play an Emery, which they have the swords. Then I played a Sai, and then Urza, a swordsing, and solituding. And then after all the removals come out, that's where I get to play a salvages and just combo and win. So <laughs> every every threat is so powerful that it needs to be answered. And if they play a really slow game, you have these thought monitors and thought casts which just keep drawing cards. So but your only really natural dr- weakness is, is, is standby uh, or doomsday. I guess we we just heard. Yeah, so I, I thought like with the forces, I'd have a bit of a shot to maybe combo quickly. Um, but yeah, it just didn't come together. So I think you probably are weak to it. You could play some more cyborg cards, but again, um, with with an 80 card main deck, you need to be very careful with what cyborg cards you yeah. play. Because I think I think you just want to play like almost three and four ofs or as a saga targets, and then they need to be very like uh, focused. That makes sense. So, makes sense. Yeah. So who actually took down the tournament? It was Death and Taxes, a guy called Robbie Thrandy, oh. who it was especially cool because <laughs> this guy, he played fantastically all event, and this was his second time coming to it. He played Burn last time, and he's pretty new to Legacy, and he just played fantastically. Um, it's really cool to see someone newer to Legacy take it down with a deck I think is hard as DNT as well. So oh, definitely. for listening, Robbie, well done again. Good job. So uh, moving on, Marius, you, you played in Iron, right? That's another tournament series in, in Germany. And how did things go yes, for you? And, and what probably, did you end up playing? Uh, at the moment, the biggest tournament we have in South Germany, at least, was 47 players. Oh, that, that's fewer than etc. Rising. <clears throat> but go on. <laughs> ah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and it uh, worked quite uh good out for me as well i uh, was 5-0 and then was able to id in the last round with with my friend and uh, from opscore he was then first me second but we split anyway so it didn't matter at all did it (laughs) (laughs) because he was he was a bit he was a bit uh, drunk after he had uh, five uh, wine mix 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 drinks and uh, taunted me on the drive home a bit uh, all over the time. That was, of course, annoying, but uh, yeah, okay. that was the only G- point. G- give, give me a second. Isn't that the same guy that we're talking about who once famously went 017 at Bazaar of Moxen over three yeah, days? Yeah, exactly. Daniel Shu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now the name comes out. It was the uh, legendary 017, but... Uh, I think after uh, when, when he was uh, 010 or something like that, he just had given up because he plays really great. Uh, his only kryptonite, his only weakness is when he makes a mistake, he uh, gets his, himself into quite a rage and then uh, starts to play really bad. Okay. <laughs> because I, I remember I remember a t- tournament uh, where he where he won. Uh, it was some some years ago uh, a magic card market league where he played against you too he played infect you played elves and he just did not make a mistake and he crushed all opponents who came across his way he sounds he sounds really dangerous I've never put him in that category. Yeah, and, I, he I, plays ninja, and he plays ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> but dude what, what did you ninjas. actually play so how did you make it all the way to the finals kind of I played my uh, monoret painter list, where uh, on which I probably worked the longest for all legacy deck I brewed uh, around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you sure. you've been working a lot. Like I've known you for seventeen-ish years almost, and I've uh, I, okay. I'm, I'm gonna trust you in that, but I, I would have guessed it would have been like Maverick or 
No, or, because or actually, you know, uh, Moonstompy. You've been you talking have, about Moonstompy since 2009. You have to consider there was Corona, and I had no paper tournaments to go, so I brewed, 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 brewed. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm okay. I'm going to trust you in that. <laughs> uh, but but before we go into into um, the depth of painter, because Callum is also um, a very very can we call you experienced painter pilot, Callum? Uh, do you have a lot of? Reps? I would. I wouldn't call myself experienced. Just enthusiastic. Oh, that's the cheap version of it. <laughs> that's what I'll get there. A, a uh, or the, tr the truth is, the truth is, I've always loved the deck, but I haven't played it as much as any of the true experts. And I think I can play it okay just because I've played a lot of Legacy, not exactly. I've always so loved I'm it, so but I've never really gotten this. That, that sounds like you know, you sign up to a position, you're like, oh, I've always appreciated open heart surgery. I just like never really got into it. <laughs> I've played against it loads. Does that count? Okay. I sorry. mean, look, I, I, I have played it a lot as well. Like I've played quite like a good 50 or so leagues and I've played it in paper a, de a decent amount now. And I've always read the like strategy things and on the source and anything when I was younger about it. So, okay. okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> so awesome. And yeah, that that's, that's what you guys have been up to. Um, I played in the actual largest legacy tournament in southern germany <clears throat> at least this weekend wow uh, shots fired yeah larger by two players exactly i think we had 46 <laughs> and uh etc on frising uh six rounds no top eight and the the organizer benedict gruber just sent me the meta game and our meta game is just like all over the place like i'm not even gonna try to make anything of it <laughs> yeah just just as in iron that's the same i, I mean all over the place in the sense that there's really nothing that's like oh we, we had 50 no 46 players and the most played deck has four copies and that would be storm like all all variants of storm uh lands miracle and miracles and blue red diver but we also we have highlights like blue red strip knot i'm not even sure what a strip knot is uh we have don't want to know we have hammer time <laughs> famous legacy deck hammer time <laughs> I, I was planning to play that at my store tomorrow oh, oh where are you okay I, i've heard a lot yeah. about it iris has been like seeing prices for, yeah. for modern at least the two most oh, played yeah. legacy decks in iron rare burn and black red reanimate <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah but we, we had one each of those and you know my favorite deck the guy actually made top eight i only won against him like in the very last round so yeah i got third place with chess guy sagaban i went five and one uh nice. but the guy i managed to beat in the last round one of the original munich legacy legends wurschti also known as the guy who came up with wurscht survival and a couple of other other Wush decks, and he played an ancestor on the meta game report. Sorry, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna read it. I'm just literally gonna, <laughs> I'm literally gonna read what it says on the meta game report. Black, 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 green, <laughs> food reanimator. <laughs> oh, does it? Oh, okay. Does it have the feasting troll king? I have no idea. It, it should do. <laughs> food, food's got to be a cookbook and as Esmeralda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I saw. That's what I saw. He he had like a reanimator theme going. He had like a Esmeralda food theme going. He had a loam theme going. He had a chain of smog theme. Literally, he played literally sixty cards, but it feels like everything was a one-off. This sounds amazing. Yeah, this is what you get when you play against Wurschti. I was so confused how to sideboard against that. <laughs> this sounds like Nick Fit. Yeah, it but it's sounds, way better than Nick Fit. That's what I said. It sounds amazing. <laughs> but there, I, I do think the um the underworld cookbook is pretty powerful with the the name of the legend that is really long that you can't pronounce Esmo. as moran asmo yeah it's pretty good like i've seen some really sick goblin welder decks with it because it's another artifact and then you can discard your like 
Sundering Titans and possess portals and stuff and weld it back in. Was there welders in his list? No, there were no welders. It was like straight okay. up black green. And he, I think he also only played like one Dire Fleet, no, not, not Dire Fleet Daredevil, Overchase Daredevil, the one that comes yeah. back when you make a food, uh, because he said the card is really bad. I'm like, yeah, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> that is the, the absolute engine with Cookbook, though. So it is, I guess it he's is. not relying on Cookbook as much as the, the modern variants. Well, to a degree, like he basically told me he just replaced them with Entombs because those can also find the, the Overchase Daredevil. Uh, that's smart. That's really smart. That's smart, like yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and that way he also has like a reanimator theme in it. And while he has that, he also plays, um, what's the new? Grief. Grief, the new um, Unmask, basically. And yeah. one of the games, like, he literally, he took my Merc Tide from my hand the very first turn. And I was like, okay, this is a card I'm not going to cast for a couple of turns anyway. And then he reanimates it. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and you know... Oh, I just realized that it, it only works, for instance, Sorcery, doesn't it, to grow it? But I was like, if you... Um, I think it works for any card. I, I don't know it works in Sorcery, you're right. Or, yeah. or is it? Unfortunately, otherwise I was thinking the Daredevil would trigger it. That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Whenever in so yeah. But here's the thing. So he went down to. I think he lost like how much? Seven life? Or, or yeah, I think it's seven. Yeah. Or date? That's quite a lot for a three-three flyer. Until you dredge loam and you get make it full. You are so smart because I was like, you know, I'm gonna get my dragon side channel. It's all gonna be fine. I can block that. Yada yada. Like it's gonna be okay. And then he dredges loam and puts a count on it. Yes. Like, Fuck the shit. <laughs> <laughs> my guy, my guy. This is the kind of incremental bullshit advantage I love. Incremental bullshit advantage. That sounds like a deck name, yeah. But in the end, I narrowly got there. But that deck, if if you like make... I probably made a ton of mistakes, but if you make one more mistake, then, then it just crushes you. This, this, this was insane. Like, this deck actually... If you streamed this deck, and maybe I'm going to ask him for his list, you're, you're going to get a lot of yeah. viewers. Please do. Yeah, yeah. please ask him, because I'll, I'll play it at, at my local at least. Okay, you, you got to give us a tournament report then. I'm going to get mm-hmm. that. Awesome. So, yeah, I, I got third place. Um, first place were A and T, the guy I lost to, because I didn't know that AV, Progenitor, Ooze, like, it makes tokens, but the tokens have converted mana cost five, so you can't prismatic ending them. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. it's going to be easy. Tokens with converted mana cost five? Yeah, I was just as, as confused. <laughs> I was okay. like, oh, it's going to be so easy. I have um, two two prismatic endings in my hand, and then I'm going to make a token with, um, with the saga, and it's going to be bigger than the other tokens. All going to be fine. And like, oh, fuck. Yeah, whatever. Ah, I'm because not... they are copies of the ooze. Now now I get it. Yeah, yes, that's, yes, it's, yes. it's because it's the first creature ever that has, has Storm. And like previously, we didn't really have um, permanence with Storm. You only had instant sorceries with Storm, as far as I remember. Yep, correct. There, there are other creatures that make CMC things that are like pack wrap. There's not many. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And second place, uh, Mark Vogt with uh, his... Is it Four Color Miracles? Is that the established yep, name now? Yeah, it's, it's Four Color Miracles. Yeah, that, I just talked with him uh, today. Ah, okay. Okay. And... Imagine, imagine Mark winning with blue-based control. Well, he, he, just... ki- he kind of won because they drew the finals and then they played it well, out for yeah. fun. He won. So I guess officially he's yeah. not the winner, but in spirit, he's the winner. And, Sounds like a win. Yeah, rounding out the top eight, we, we got Blue Red uh, Strip. What's Blue Red Strip Note, by the way? Uh, oh, Strip Down. Yeah, I'm just thinking it must be dressed down, then you play the Dreadnought. Yeah, pr- probably right. something like that, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, would guess. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. Fifth and sixth place, we got uh, Green White Depth. Uh, seventh place, uh, Black Green Food Reanimator. <laughs> Hell yes. Eighth place, uh, Mario's favorite deck, Blue Black Ninjas. 
<laughs> ah, there was a ninjas in uh, uh, yeah. Rising as well. Okay. Somebody was ninjaing hey, people. In Iron, we got uh, Ninjas, Painter, Burn, Black Rat, uh, Reanimate, uh, Lands, and one uh, Bunt Control or Four Color Control. Uh, four Color Control, I don't even know. And I guess um, uh, Timur Food Chain List. Yeah, so sounds like the current legacy motor game right now. <laughs> it's kind of funny how you see like Bomberman and Food Chain and stuff, like those decks that you don't really see online because they're just like such a pain to click through. Like Allure yeah. is easy mode, right? Allure you can do, but the other two, yeah. It's, it's a I really paradigm. do think the, the Bomberman shell is actually incredibly powerful in currently legacy because especially the, the ones that blew in, um, so the, the blue artifact-based cards are so good right now. So I think those decks are one, underplayed and underexplored, and the Bombman combo is just very good, and it's just horrific to play online. So that's why you don't see it more. So, yeah, I'm very high on these kind of things. To and food chain is okay. I've never thought. I don't think it's quite as good as Bombman. But it's a. Uh, it's kind of they fill up the same kind of niche in that no one really plays them online. It, the cool thing is, if people don't really get enough reps against Bomberman because nobody plays it, that can only be to your advantage, right? Yeah. But once you like start playing in paper tournaments, that 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 matter. I think I had two things online because I played the challenge last uh, Sunday as well. And then I've played two leagues in the, in the challenge and I've had like two or three people kind of cast an endurance later in the turn where it didn't matter when I actually had a, a, the first time I sat the LED, I only had three white mana and went to return it. I was like, they could have blown me out with that. But um, yeah, people are just forgetting to do it or not, not being super familiar with it, I guess. Yeah, and and that kind of segues into um our well it's not really a big first topic but something that we talked about on the podcast uh, on the, the podcast Discord recently, and that is what actually is the true legacy meta game. <laughs> oh my god! With that effect, I think you have to answer first. Okay, so if you want to hear my opinion on that, um, I was also the one who, who actually put it in our in our uh, list for listener questions because I think people are talking past each other when they when they have that discussion of, oh look, this is the legacy meta game as it presents itself on Magic Online, and then somebody else says, well, this is not the true legacy meta game, because I think. There's no true legacy meta game. There's only a legacy meta game in the context of something you want to measure. And most of the time, at least when you go to Twitter or every kind of place where us wannabe spikes hang out, when we talk about the legacy meta game, we mean the meta game as measured by people playing for, well, at least right now, the highest stakes possible with the most desire to win. And that being a much bigger factor than when you play in your local event. And when that happens and that metagame that comes out of that, I think that is the quote-unquote true legacy metagame with regards to what happens, what comes out of it when people go into it with very high competitive spirit and also willingness to switch decks quite a bit because it's just like infinitely easier on on magic online because of loan services and everything than it is in paper like ever so i think that is the true quote-unquote legacy meta game with regards to competitiveness what is good what is powerful and from there i think what people are saying at least that's how i understand it is when they say that's not my legacy meta i mean that's fine you don't have to adjust your deck to whatever's going on in the most recent Legacy Challenge or the Legacy Challenge before when you play at your local meta game, because it just 
it's not important to you. I mean, you might want to play the most teched out list and, and get like a, a little bit of extra percentage, but it's it's probably not worth it if you know that your local meta game, like those local 20, 30 people you play against, is just like totally going to be different. Then that's not as applicable to you and that's okay. And you don't need to defend yourself for not putting as much credit into the quote unquote grinders meta game. So that's that's how I think about it. How about you, Marius? In my opinion, the true legacy meta game is uh, always there where the money is. Uh, and as you as you said, as you said, online most of the cards are affordable to um, an acceptable price. Um, but I. I I stopped playing online uh, some, some years ago, but uh, there were always some strange cards who were incredibly expensive online. I don't know what, what a Ragavan costs at the moment, but I know that some cards were online extremely expensive while they didn't cost a lot in paper. And via verse, it, there exist cards in paper uh, there exist cards in paper. You cannot really pay like Tabernacle of Pendrelville. I don't think that costs online uh, very much. Yeah, I think tab Tabernacle last time I checked was like 20 or 25. Uh, yeah, Ragavan, by the way, is almost 100 nothing. tickets right now. That's nothing. And um, <clears throat> what you have to consider as well is, of course, the fact that uh, in paper at the local tournaments, people like playing their pet decks. They like playing their brews, their decks, who they uh, like, and uh, they uh, might not even think that uh, this deck they play is, is top tier. But uh, especially now after Corona, I think uh, the most important thing for most players will be to go to a tournament and play again their deck, which they really like to play online. It's much more competitive, I have to agree here, because um, online you don't have the, the, the social contacts, uh, contacts if you are not, not a streamer who uh, interacts much with his chat. So uh, online you most of the time will really play to make a bit money of it, a bit, a bit extra money. Yeah. Or lose a bit of money. <laughs> or lose a bit of money, yeah, of, of course. But... Uh, Especially at these mid, yeah, mid-range tournaments with, yeah, let's say, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 players, it's not that competitive uh, that uh, most of the players will say, okay, I take my four Ragnarans, my four Otsa Saga, and will play this deck for sure, because it's clearly the best deck in the format. But they will always uh, take their deck to the tournament, which they want to play. Uh, sorry, to, to, be, before I go into Callum's opinion, um, I actually I did that <laughs> the, the day before the tournament. I literally printed out my blue, blue, white, red saga one deck from yeah, the but but, but but uh, <laughs> in your case, I don't even think you played the deck just because it's probably in your opinion the best deck in the format, but because it's can uh, interact in a couple of, of different ways and you really like the deck to play. That's a difference. Yeah, that's. I guess that makes sense. Like last time I also played a deck that I really liked, like Maverick, but it didn't really perform very well and I just like got destroyed by, by what I should be destroyed. Whereas the one I played uh, yesterday, it, it 
it's not really getting destroyed by anything. That's just like how and, it works. And, and for and for me, it, it's the same. I I had a, a good version of a bunch miracles available, and I'm quite sure I would always go at least positive with the deck. I'm quite sure about it. Um, but the deck isn't fun at all for me. And uh, to, uh, I'm quite lucky at the moment that uh, the deck I play was in the, at least in this meta, well positioned and uh, made a lot of fun and was good. Callum, what do you think? What is the true legacy meta game? Where, where is it at? I don't have a lot more to add. I think I agree with both of you like very strongly. Um, especially what you said at the beginning about, you know, what what do you define as the true legacy metagame? I think it's going to boil down to what the person asking the question wants it to be in the first place. I think we all three agree, and I think most people agree that playing online is more competitive. I, I think that's fairly objective. But that, to some people, is not what legacy is about, and that's fine. That's not their version of the true legacy. Like, just, okay, perfect example of us talking about these events that we've all gone to in the last couple of weeks. These uh, top eights and the metagames we were describing are not what you play against online. We're seeing the bomb bans and the food chains and the, the burns and stuff. And to a lot of people, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with what Marius was saying about people want to play their decks. And if everyone's doing this kind of, I don't know, I mean this in the best way possible, like gentlemen's agreement to play their decks and what they find fun. This is what keeps the the paper meta game kind of even more fresh and stuff and more fun to me. So I've been much more enjoying playing paper legacy recently than online for that reason. So I don't think there is a true legacy meta game to be defined in the context of just us answering this question. It's going to be whoever's asking it probably has a perception and it's going to stem from that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Also, something I want to add is um, with the introduction of proxy tournaments, it's a lot easier. Like the deck lists become a lot more fluid. And if anything, maybe it's going to make online legacy and paper legacy converge a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe that could be a thing. Yeah, that's Yay. true. Uh, in in Iron, for example, they uh, have now really awesome homemade proxies. And these are really, really well done. Uh, combined with the with the big tournaments in Tübingen, they uh, put these proxies together. Big shout out to them! And uh, they made a list. Uh, let's let's say eighty cards or something like that, um, with a golden golden border and uh, the the density of of an original magic card. And uh, for example, the Mox diamonds, the tabernacles, and the lines of diamond were all gone. So mm, you know? I'm very excited uh, for for the next legacy event in Iron, what the players are going to do. Because at this tournament, they weren't allowed. You could take uh, some proxies for free with you. And uh, now at the next tournament in, the, in December, uh, the players will be allowed to play with the proxies. And yeah, let's say what's coming out there. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me a little bit of a, of a basic land box at you know at, at, at drafts and stuff. Yeah, exactly. But with stuff like City of Traitors, Tabernacles, all the tools. Just you, you walk <laughs> up there and you're like, oh, give me a bunch of those underground seas and I'll have a little bit extra on the volcanic islands. Yeah, that's just enough. Maybe one for the sideboard. Who knows? <laughs> It it does put this like put this really weird thing in your brain though like so I got a full proxy but like the same cardstock thing for a vintage cube and so as I was sleeving it all up and you know sleeving this quote unquote 
uh, Alpha Black Lotus because I ordered like all the oldest arts of everything. I was like, this is it looks real. Like this is we're gonna play with this with Cube and like we're gonna open it in the pack and be like, yeah, this is this is a Black Lotus. And it just to me like the game has always been about playing the game. I'm not a collector. I I like kind of nice looking cards and stuff, but I really at the end of the day don't care very much about the actual cards and the value tied to it i hate and stuff i just want to play the game and so having these proxy tournaments pop up more and more and more has just been like this weird kind of thing in my head because i'm like i was sorting a folder the other night and i was putting some dual lands away as an underground scene i was like why the hell is this so much money this is absolutely ridiculous so it's it's (laughs) in my opinion it's the most healthy thing you can do about legacy because when Mm. i when i uh, think back about uh, julian julian will remember at the tournaments we have at the sabe school in yeah. Munich, and uh, we you made uh, sixth place or something like that in a eight, eighteen man tournament and got your white bottled plateau. And you ask, hey, here white bottled plateau, ten bucks. Someone wants? No, okay, <laughs> eight bucks. Eh, okay, I take it. And of course, there are two rare cards. There are always rare cards who were more expensive. Uh, for example, I had uh, two uh, Ravages of War uh, in, in, in these times. This uh, white-bordered Armageddon from the portal box, and it costed 50 bucks. And 50 bucks were a lot of money in this time for me because I was a student. I didn't have that much money. Now Dude, I'm You working... looked like Mr. Moneybags to me back then when I came to the tournament. This guy <laughs> had Ravages of War. Like... <laughs> And to Tabernacles, yeah, and, of yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember when when Ravages of War and like, if you don't know this card, look up Strategic Planning. It's such a crap oh, card, yeah. but it used <laughs> to be at some point the most expensive card in Legacy. Yep, correct. <laughs> and nowadays, I uh, I really earn. Yeah, I, I don't earn a lot of money. Oh. My, my my earnings are okay <laughs> as a teacher. It's 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 okay. And uh, with the stuff I earn in one month. I am far, far away from pimping out a legacy deck, even buying one. That's ridiculous. So if 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 I had uh, two, three thousand euros back, uh, let's say, fifteen years ago, I could have easily bought full pimped, black bordered foil land still without any problems. You could have bought a vintage deck back then, kinda. Yeah, that's quite a good comparison. When I I, I sold my my power, um, five moxes, one black lotus, and four uh, bazaar for bazaar, not bazaar, Mishra's workshop for for Mishra's workshop, it was uh, three thousand euros for all this stuff, and it was okay in this time. Yeah, (laughs) I I used to have a few moxes when I was like way way younger. I think I sold them to buy a guitar. And then I thought I was never going to play Magic again. And it's kind of crazy to think about how much they're worth in hindsight. But yeah. don't regret it either. It's just one of those things that happens. And so, as I said, going to this new these times now where everything's so expensive, I, I just think it's on the players to play more and more proxy events. So our London events have been proxy the whole time since five years ago. And at the beginning, it was used less. And we are seeing it used more, especially for the dual lands. And we definitely do have some players like almost feel bad about it and every single time it comes up in conversations i just like no it's encouraged please yeah. proxy please play it people want to play against the good decks people want to play against um you know people 
playing what they want to play. It's so cliche, but like there are some young kids now coming to these things. Um, if they listen, Lewis and Evershy, especially, they are you can just tell they're absolutely great players already, and they are finally being able to play. Like Lewis has always played Mono Blue Delver and High Tide at our store before COVID that didn't allow proxies. Now he's playing Blue Red Delver and he's just crushing with it. And he, he actually played like old school rug with uh, Nimble Mongoose and Stifle at last LLM and lost his win in just because he's such a Delver <laughs> master. Because he's like, yeah, this is fun. I'm going to give it a go. He was like spell snaring, grim monoliths and stuff. It's pretty funny. And then Avishai is a young kid again. Like he's, I'd never met him before, like two months ago coming to our Tuesdays and stuff. And he's been playing the the Ragavan saga lists and doing very, very well, winning our weekly sometimes and stuff. So these players wouldn't be able to like, you know, play these good decks, which, you know, makes them better players. It also just puts you off, right? If you're playing a worse deck and you know that you're losing week in, week out with these worse decks because you can't afford other things, yeah, it's not sucks. fun. It's no, not it's encouraging. Not, fun. not, so, at, all. not at all. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really glad we're continuing to push for these proxies. Yeah, and and I want to say, um, like kind of mentioned, this this thing really is encouraged by at least pretty much all the people I talked to in the community. Like my deck was ninety percent printed out. Like I had some extra cards lying around that I put in, and nobody ever like commented on that. And I don't even remember which ones of my opponent. Like one guy actually told me that his entire deck was proxy. And I didn't even realize he also had printed it out. And like nobody mm-hmm. cares. Like you're so into the game. As long as people don't just come up with like MS Paint and print it out like really horribly. <laughs> yeah, we we have a rule that it has to be it has to be like properly nicely printed, which is you know, a bit vague. But you can't have a sharpie on the back of a card or anything. You have to print it and ideally in color and stuff. And everyone adheres to that. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So with so much legacy going on, uh, at least all around Europe. Uh, let's talk about one of the decks that both of you guys have been showing. I think I actually recently streamed it as well. So that makes me an expert, right? That's how it goes. <laughs> and that is Mono Red. Well, I guess the, the name is the Imperial Painter, right? It goes back to the very original painter lists being more like blue-based. And then people came along and they were like, you know what, we should just play Mono Red with Imperial Recruiter. And that's how the name Imperial Painter was born. And now it's by far the most dominant list. I guess sometimes people like Splash White for like... I would actually say Shortcake is the better and more played one currently. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, I, I was just, I was just, just to be contradictory there. Yeah, I was, it's just me. I like I like Imperial a lot. No, the but, thing yeah. is, I, I was just like trying to bring it around in, in the sense that I think Shortcake <laughs> is also Imperial Painter. It's just like Imperial Painter splashing white. It's more like yeah, it's a subcategory fair. of Imperial Painter as opposed to the original like more blue based Painter list that were like quite different. I mean, the only difference, uh, to be honest, is they splash two Aethos uh, Aethos one Canonist, one in main, one in sideboard. And then always one or two copies of this crappy enlightened tutor. That's the main difference. And as you can we hear, can Mars is there. absolutely excited I, about that. I, I hate enlightened tutor too. <laughs> Me too. It's yeah, never would but, play it again. Yeah, it's literally the some... definition of a crutch, right? <laughs> mm. It's it's weird because I don't mind. Like it sounds weird. One of them because these kind of cards that are card disadvantage. Like there will be sub matchups where you know if you have your Calnis and you're playing against Storm or whatever, or if you have a Torpor Orb against doomsday that kind of thing or like especially now if you play the as a sagas then you can not just license for them but you can now play your one of blood moon because the deck used to be heavier on blood moons historically and um you don't want to play that with uh, sagas because it's pretty bad but there is enough matchups where blood moon is really powerful and so you can just uh you know tutor it up 
like so in imperial i play one megs of the moon because you want to have this like bullet against lands or whatever it may be but uh you also got portable hole recently in shortcake which is a really big addition i think so yes i i i saw this but to be honest apart from uh blood moon or megas of the moon you can get all uh these silver bullets too via goblin engineer there's that's absol- there's absolutely no need for enlightened tutor in my opinion yeah that's fair that's, that's a very fair. good point so before we go into the details of the deck list um why, why don't you start us off with like um an introduction to painter and what makes it good You've been waiting all night to sing that. I'll yeah, play that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. <laughs> good timing. Good timing. Um, yeah. So if anyone doesn't know, Paint Servant is like a it's it's this amazing like mix of combo control and you know against the other control decks you can play beatdown kind of as well. But it's essentially built around Painter Servant, which is a two mana artifact creature, one three, and when it comes to play, you name a color, and every single card in the game is that color in addition to its other colors. So every color in your in your deck, in your hand, everywhere is that color. So you very historically used to name blue, and then the deck plays main deck pyroblasts and red elemental blasts. So they turn into, from a sideboard card, they turn into just this absolutely busted one mana instant destroy target permanent or counter target spell. So that's like part of the engine of the deck. And then it's a combo deck in the sense that you play grindstone. Grindstone is a one mana artifact, and then you can activate it for three mana. Target player mills two cards. And if those two cards are the same color, they, you repeat this process. So the combo is you make everything the same color, and then grindstone mills the whole deck. Um, so around that, you play like Imperial Recruiter, so where it gets the name Imperial Painter from. So you can tutor up the the um, Painter Servant. And then with that, you play Goblin Welders, and then the new Goblin Engineer, which is a fantastic addition. And then using this, you can do some trick. You can do some amazing tricks. Like you do very often use Lotus Petals and Great Furnace to kind of weld them in and out to play around days to get extra mana. You can you know play around removal very nicely with welders. Like you often against Source of Pasha's decks, you don't want to play your Painter until you have a welder active to like weld it out to save it and stuff. And you can do things like if you have a Painter in the graveyard and a Grindstone in play, you can activate the Grindstone, hold priority, then weld them together and stuff. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of really cool tricks with the with the Goblin part of the deck. And then you play fast mana because Grindstone is four mana to play an activate total, and then you have the Painter Servant for two mana, so you're playing Ancient Tombs and Soul Lands, and they help cast your Imperial uh, Recruiters as well. And then recently, we've got like Khan is a nice addition, so it does play this control role very, very often. Um, it's just my favorite thing about it is it, it really changes its game plan based on the matchup. So against Delver, you'll play control and probably quite rarely combo them because they have a lot of bolts and a lot of removal to stop you. And you just like, you know, pyroblast and bolt all their threats. Um, against a control deck, my favorite play is to play Imperial Recruiter and get another Imperial Recruiter. That, that's you not just... you're famous for. Like, I think that, I that's what they call it. pulling a cannon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, this is, this is why I love the deck. It's, it's flexible and it's, it's powerful as well. It, you can build it in a lot of different ways. So currently right now, I do like Mono Red because... As Marius said, I agree here, you have so many tools available to you, even just in this one thing. And, you know, Wasteland is still played a lot. So having basics is incredibly powerful. So I'm a big, big fan of that. But there is a, a mono blue version I've played a few times, and that is more combo focused and it's much faster. Uh, you can build it with like Black Lotuses and LEDs everywhere and like try and combo tone one very often if you wanted to. Really, like the, the painter shell gives you so many ways to build the deck and so many options. It's it's a really rewarding deck to go deep on, I think, and have a good understanding of what makes what good in different metagames. 
Do you have anything to add to that, Marius? No, I think uh, it was a quite good introduction to the deck. You mentioned all the just the important cards, I guess. <laughs> cool. uh, yeah, the main the main parts of it, at least. Yeah, correct. So, how do you feel about Painter right now? Because for one, so the reason I started playing it more recently was because I always wanted to, and I've loved the deck. Um, I do think. Well, this is going to be a good com- a conversation piece between us because I think Urza Saga has been a huge boon to the deck and a big addition to it. Yeah. And I th- <laughs> Here we go. So yeah. <laughs> this this is a big reason why I've been like, I've, I was going to I was planning to play it anyway because I think it's really really sweet and fun. But I think it's been a big addition, and I've found the card incredible in the deck, and it's helped me win a lot with it. Um, this is why I think Painter is currently better than it historically has been. Um, but yeah, you play a list that's different that doesn't have a saga, which is very interesting. And you play like main deck blood suns and stuff. So the first of all, this just shows that I I don't I think both of them have legit arguments for and not for saga and for blood sun. And it just shows that you can build it different ways and still have success with it. So do you just speaking in general about painter as a general archetype rather than our list first, do you think painter's better currently than, than it historically is? Yes. And the reason you say is true. If you like to play Urza Saga, uh, that card can help your deck, of course, to get your, your grindstone or to survive uh, with this uh, construct tokens. Uh, but even when I look at my list, it's too uh, better in the current meta than it was before because uh, Bloodsun handles Urza Saga quite uh, awesome. It destroys the Urza Saga uh, even if it's uh, a Tespian stage, basic land, Urza Saga, it still loses the ability. And uh, uh, apart from that, you can uh, shut down unfair strategies like Dark Deaths uh, or stuff like this too with uh, the Blood Sun. Yeah, I think that's already comparing the two lists, right? Um, if I might chime in as one-time painter player in the last five years, <laughs> my impression has been that Goblin Engineer was actually the card that, I don't want to say put it over the top because it's like not over the top crazy, destroys everything, but it's probably the card that made it as good as it is right now, which is like better than it has been in the last five or six years. In my I opinion, would... it's Karn. In it's my Karn. opinion, okay. Karn okay. is the deck that ah. uh, put the deck... Uh, over over, uh, the lists some years ago because Karn uh, does three things for the deck. He searches for both the combo pieces. He shuts down Chalice on one, which was a huge problem for the deck because you couldn't even blast it or your Goblin Welder got countered by it. Of course, at the moment... Chalice of the Void is not uh, a card to be played very often, but uh, still Khan handles it easily. And third thing, Khan is even a great option to hate your opponent's uh, deck at the moment. May it be Urza Saga decks with fast uh, artifact mana. May it be uh, Death and Texas with equipments uh, or just be a Storm with LEDs and Lotus Petals. Karn handles it all. And apart from this, Karn can even get a Tormod script from the sideboard uh, to combo your show and tell opponent out. So it's four things Karn does for the deck. Okay, okay. Let me counter by saying one problem I have with Karn is that it doesn't really seem great against Blue Red Diver. 
I, I I'm I'm with Marius here that it's such a boon to the deck and despite being not great against Blue Red Delver, like with my list that I play mostly these days, I sideboard them all out against Delver. Um it's such a like hammer of a card. It's almost like it's good against everything apart from Delver. And then when you play against Delver, you accept that. And it's still fine. Like it doesn't always get countered. They don't always have tons of creatures. Like I'm playing two or three lightning bolts and five or six blasts main deck. You you do kill them, and very often you play a main deck and snaring bridge, which you can goblin engineer for. Um, it's pretty common to just play a control role and win with Khan in the end game. It definitely happens even against Delva. And then yeah, you sideboard them out and you just try and like either you know, bridge them and just. I very often win with just like idiot beats against Delva. Actually, Actually let me think about can like blue red Delva remove uh, and snaring bridge in the first game? Nope. No. No. <laughs> It's sometimes so sometimes they play uh, a vapor snack but oh, yeah, that's uh, rare. at the at, at the moment probably not because they, the lists are so so stuck if you had more slots you would probably squeeze in more bobbles or delvers so there is no place for cuteness i actually played a list online that had three main deck bridges because i was like there's so much delver and it was amazing i, I think i went 3-0 against delver to be honest uh with with uh while playtesting i never had problems with uh blue red delver never no, I, I do think it's actually the way it's built is pretty good. Um, I think your list is probably better than mine against Delver as well. Just Saga is good against Delver, but it is a little bit of a liability. Like if you're behind, the, the constructs are not great. You know, they're, they're only blocking Ragavan later on and your deck is very good at blocking Ragavan already with all the goblins and the recruiter and uh, painter. So yeah, and Bloodsodden I can see being good against Delver as well, turning off their fetches later and things like that. And it's especially nice with uh, keeping City of Traitors around, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, why not we actually like, move into into comparing these two different lists? We already mentioned Blood Sun uh, a couple of times, and that, that's kind of like a... I don't want to call it a leftover from previous times where Painter used to play four Blood Moons all the time and sometimes even like Megas of the Moon. Uh, now you know when I switched? Yeah. When was the time when I switched? I don't know, a couple of minutes ago? When they uh, when Oko and Astrolabe were legal. Because uh, the, this deck did not care about Blood Moon at all. You play. He, he had his one basic all the time. You play. Uh, or you you invest your resources. Your city of traitor or, or your, um, your your lotus petal. Your seven spirit guide to play uh, an early blood moon. Screw yourself quite often. And opponent starts just uh, okay. Have a basic astrolabe, and with this I have all the mana I want. Oh, and then they played a lot of I switch. Well I switch to to, basics, to yeah. to have uh, the cantrip myself and uh, to say, okay, you got your colored mana, but you got just a certain amount of mana because I shut down all your fetch lands. And since these three or four color lists play quite a lot of fetch lands, I think around 10 or something like that, it's uh, quite a big part of the mana base you shut down with it. And when Oko and Astrolabe um, were banned, I uh, wanted, of course, go back to the blood moons. And uh, when we tested, uh, we test once a week. And when I tested the list, I came to the conclusion, hey, uh, blood sun, at, at the things I want the deck doing, it does uh, these things much better. I even had a game where uh, blood sun shut my opponent down from red mana, so he wasn't able to cast lightning bolt on my painter. That's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> Loving it. Yeah, I gotta try it. Like, so just yeah, so the main difference is as we said, Marius is playing Blood Suns. Uh you also like have just 
you have four city retreaters, so eight soul lands as opposed to like I play six. I yeah, think seven I was. I test. Yeah. I, I tested last week the uh, a similar list with four uh, Utsa Saga and two City of Traitors, and it just didn't feel good mm-hmm. to me. Uh, to me, at least. And with uh, the full uh, eight manlands, you get your cards cast. Uh, you uh, you have lands, the mana right? you 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 need to get your combo out. And this was yeah. this was one of the things I did not like ab- about Utsa Saga. The deck has so many. Uh, so much stuff going on, so many things to do uh, for two mana and tapping a land to, cons- to to make a construct does really feel a bit underpowered in my opinion. Okay, because so so a few reasons why I found those like to be so good because I found the constructs apart from Delver, I found it incredibly strong. And it so you have four cons. I was, I've been playing two or three. I don't rely on them too much against the the control decks, even though it is fantastic there. Sometimes you just slam it and win, but it's like the the sagas just feel like there's almost this free win against uh, the slower control decks. It's just uncountable two threats, and then the mana investment is not too bad if you're using cheap interactions. So you have the blasts, and you don't have any lightning bolts. And I had two or three usually, and you are able to just play this control game around this like these cheap cards. And then use the constructs to better ability. I also found the curve of just turn one as a saga, turn two, paint a servant, turn three, win. Just like that's very standalone. It's very powerful as well, especially in the combo matchups where you know you have a lotus pedal and you just are a seeming spirit guy and you just aggro blast that turn one ponder or whatever, and you can then buy enough time to just combo turn three. I found that just at least the threat of that very powerful as well. Um, but yeah, I do see. I do see the pluses and minuses. I do like your eight soul lands and four cards a lot. As Julian said, I do like have a question about you know is this the way you want to go against Delver? But you have also like um, I love your worm coil engine. So Marius has a worm coil engine as well, which if you have a golden welder in play, you can engineer for it, and it just as you'd expect that crushes Delver. I have one in the sideboard and done it a few times as well. It's pretty nice. Um, other differences: you have two Brayer's Apprentice. How have they been? Maybe, maybe we should actually uh, quickly uh, mention what okay. Brayer's Apprentice does, just because the card is so unusual. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, it's, um, it's an oh. artifact creature. Uh, it costs two colorless, one red mana, is two, three. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you create a one, one flying top the token. Um, when you tap Brayer's Apprentice and sacrifice an artifact, you can uh, first give a creature plus two plus zero until end of turn. This part isn't really relevant. Uh, But the other ability is you can tap her, sacrifice an artifact and exile the top card of your library and play this card until your next end of turn step. So if you do it in your main phase, you can play it in the following turn as, as well. That interacts great with Goblin Welder and with Goblin Engineer because uh, you can get uh, with Engineer Welder it in directly, uh, have more artifacts with the Copter with the Copter token to sack again. Um, uh, it can create value on its own in uh, sacking additional grindstones or unused uh, Lotus Petals or City of Traitors, and. Uh, at last, you can even use the top dust to block a huge flyer like a Dark Devs token if you don't have a bridge or a blood sun to shut it down. 
or just uh, block a delver and, and, and sack it away next time you engineer uh, it again in, into play. So it really felt awesome. Yeah, you know what so I really liked about it when I played your list, or actually I streamed it, um, since you have so many soul lands, you, you have eight of them, I really liked having a card that I can play on the third, or, or rather on the second turn after starting out with a mountain, and, and it being kind of a relevant card. I, I think it's similar to the slot that Imperial Recruiter for you... Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the, some, some months ago, I played uh, similar to... Callum's list, I played two Smuggler's Copter because I really like them, and two Imperial Recruiter um, with the synergy of uh, Recruiter uh, putting himself in the Copter as a body and then Copter making more value. Uh, but without, without, what I don't like about the Recruiter is it's a three mana, one one do nothing. He doesn't, he doesn't awesome? really provide you with a clock. <laughs> Yeah, but what I was going to say is like, I think that the kind of like the trade-off is the Imperial Recruiter gives you a little bit more of like, I don't want to say inevitability because that's probably like too much, but you, you know, you play more for the long game. Whereas if you put Breya to the board, that really felt like, it sounds stupid, but like making a statement, like you put, I think, three power into play with it, right? And And it's just, it's two things. That make it so that your Karn won't be attacked later on. Uh, it's two things that could pr can put pressure on your opponent in some way, or like even just like block a Raga one if you really want yeah, to. Yeah, it's, and... it's that's 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 true too. It's a really great uh, card against Raga one because uh, he won't be able most of the time he won't be able to bolt both the uh, the things and Raga one. Uh, luckily, it's two one, so even the Copter is enough to block him. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so that that's where I felt on, on those cards. Like you were so excited about it, you told me you actually you were considering adding a third copy, right? Yeah, but I have no I have no no place for him because I uh, really wanted to play the one of Wormcoil engine. Uh, when we talked last, I told you that the deck really wants the fourth Goblin Welder, and I totally agree with Callum here. Playing four Goblin Welder feels absolutely right. Is one of the best turn one plays the deck can make. Yeah, there, there has been lists where they have three. And Goblin Engineer as well, I think I have three currently, but I'm just waiting to find the right cut to have four. I think the four, the eight Goblins is the way to go and the way they build these decks. And oh, they're just so, so good. They are the, the backbone that make the kind of the, the combos around it tick and stuff. And I'm just going through your thing. I'd really like the Worm Car as well with all the extra soul lands you have. And it's just a different approach, right? So you're, you're just going faster... Um, on those I hardcasted it quite often, yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas whereas the list with only six soul lands obviously has less fast mana. And the, the saga sacrificing itself is pretty real as well. Like I very often found myself getting a lotus petal, almost always. If if you see the um the match against Kai, I think I got a lotus petal off Fuzz's saga almost every single time. So I was wanting to add an, a Mox Opal, but I've always hated Mox yeah, Opal yeah, painting. Yeah, but so. but but to be honest, when I when I tested the deck last week uh, with the Utsa Saga. I really wished uh, often I had um, a, a mox a mox opal in the yeah. in the sixties. Um, what I did not like about Urza Saga is that normally you play these uh, strange casting cost one artifacts like Soul Guide Lantern or Pirate Star Spellbomb or or Shadow Spear or stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a cool approach of your list that you just cut these things because yeah, they don't do anything for the for, for the combo 
I yeah, so I, I only have lotus petals and grindstones to fetch with it. I just found the fetching a grindstone because I, I have two grindstones main deck in my list, and I've even considered going down to one. Um but the, the sagas do get wastelanded or destroyed enough that I think two is fine. But, but so- then, then then again you might have the problems with the constructs that they uh, remain a bit a bit less beefy or, or fleshless. I mean, uh, you mm-hmm. don't have that many artifacts, and at least uh, Shadow Spear is a is an option to uh, gain the upper hand against Delver, even if. But he if you okay, if, if I might chime in there once again, I would actually argue that at least on the ground, constructs are the biggest thing in Legacy right now. There's no Tarmogoyfs okay. and stuff like constructs are always gonna be the biggest thing, and in Painter. Unless you play against like the blue um, Echo of Eons or whatever, like we, we still haven't settled on a proper name for that, I guess. Other than that matchup, your painter constructs are probably going to be the biggest in Legacy. And the only thing that's going to rival it is like a big Merc Tide. And um, I mean, yeah, there's Grizzlebrand and Emrakul and whatever, but. Yeah, that doesn't I've, matter. I've even course. seen Grizzlebrand's jump block against constructs. And. You know you know what I've uh, recently seen? Meltdown. Yeah, yeah, dude, that, that's, a saga dude, that's very real. That's very that, that is super real. The card, the card first showed up like two months ago, and yeah, I've I've been gotten it by by it really hard, very hard. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, the the lack of one drops to search with saga, it's it's quite consciously thinking about how bad you are against all the sideboard cards. I don't think like you the percentage you get game one by having a shadow spear, which you could draw when you're like having a combo draw or like the soul guide lantern when you could just can for Tormund's crypt. I, I just didn't find any of them necessary and they're really bad draws if they're not, it's not the right matchup. And then after sideboard, you just have more of these random cards you need to cut when people are bringing in their null rods, collector roofs, meltdowns and all this kind of stuff. And oh, so, sideboards so, are quite, quite similar. Yes. Yeah. So I, w- I really wanted to be able to like, I know as a, as, a, as a painter deck, not too reliant on having artifacts in play. It sounds really weird, but like, I don't know. I even played two or three Great Furnace for a while, but then I realized they're too good with the with the Welders to, to play less. But um, yeah, I, yeah, always, it, I always like, uh, like one Great Furnace at the bot. Yeah, for, I need to do that. I think for that's just... with uh, two uh, Soul Lands where you accelerate into Khan, maybe have even a Lotus Petal, but need it for her Blast, and you want the uh, red uh, mother for, for yeah. searching. I'm a big fan of that. I don't have it in the list that I posted and played recently, but I think that's a, that's a really good idea. I'll change that over. Yeah, I need to play your list more. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, going on, like... Every time I play uh, play a play a painter list, like I'm a big big fan of uh, Mono Blue version as well that plays Emery is just absolutely incredible in the deck. Yep, I I, I honestly wanted to play. Uh, I say a bit often honestly. Sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> just just, just, just a little bit more nice. Uh, okay, we gotta balance it out. Uh, oh, that's great. I like the blue list quite a lot the, because the creatures are just better. Emery, Sai, mm-hmm. and uh, one or two Urzas are better than stuff like Recruiter or Goblin Engineer. Not even better than Welder, but... Yeah. Okay. But uh, com- just uh, just compare Breya's Apprentice. I like her very much, but compare with Sai. Then yeah. it's, it's, of course, garbage. <laughs> but uh, the problem with Blue Painter lists is that Hydroblast, if you want to compensate the Red Blast with Hydroblasts, it's uh, quite crap. The good, because the, the good thing about Pyroblast is... You uh, counter the counter for the painter, and after that is its removal. Hydroblast will be often just a dead card without painter in play. 
Yeah, I very much agree. That is exactly the conclusion I got to. There was a lot of times I was playing the list and then you play a painted servant and you have two blasts in your hand and you're just like, please don't have force will, please don't have force will. And it's such a weird position to be in because usually you're just like, please force a will, please force a will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's the complete opposite. So yeah, it is, it is a major downside to the deck. And I think my conclusion was I needed to find more ways to um, get Painter in play and we're using the blasts. So I actually started playing like two flusters someone's main deck and just like three Hydro Blasts at some point. And War of, of Invention was finding the Painter a lot as well. But um, yeah, there's there's an extra hoop to jump through for sure. Whereas the trade-off is the better cards. I really think Emery is one yep. of the... Emery, Emery, Emery is insane. She's probably one of the best card, best creatures in Legacy. Uh, she's absolutely, Whoa. absolutely Dude, amazing. If we weren't yep. to clickbait, we, we, I would probably like totally spin this into some kind of headline. <laughs> Let's be honest, the coolest, the coolest card in this uh, four Goblin Welder Engineer deck is Icho Wellspring. I love oh, this card. I had, me too. I had games where I drew three, three extra cards every round. Guys, get a room. Opponent, <laughs> I play, apply a brainstorm. Yeah, okay. Play it. I, I will, I will go. Yeah, I just absolutely love it as well. I mean, you laugh, but it's it's such a real thing. Like when you're playing a grindy game and you know your opponent has removal and you're trying to bait the removal. And then you're trying to bait the removal because you have a painter in hand. And then you have two welders and you need to like the welders can play around removal with the painter to an extent. But what you get is you get the Icar Wellspring because then they're forced to remove one of the goblins. Because if you don't, you're drawing two to three cards a turn. And even when they do, you still draw an extra card off it because you welded in and stuff. It It is a, it is a super real game plan and uh, it's just really fun as well. Um I was building around Oswald Fiddlebender recently, and it's amazing with that as well. And Chromatic Star as well. So I want to actually experiment with Chromatic Star more in Painter. It's a bit of a slow card. It can feel bad to play turn one, but otherwise it plays great with the Welders, great with Oswald. But it's 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 perhaps a card you could add in your list when you play with Saga, because only have two grindstones apart from the from the Lotus Petals. Mm-hmm. Perhaps so. Uh, not so great lantern. Uh, chromatic star might uh, find a place in the list. Yeah. Are we talking about the same card, chromatic star? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Well, it's it's really good when you have like payoffs with with sacrifice things. So like, have you ever cracked uh, use size ability cracking two chromatic stars or Ica well springs? Okay, I can see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's good, and it also fixes your mana. Um, decks with heavy like. I think this is what you'd play it in like two color decks. So I played it in a uh, blue white deck with obviously Emery and uh, Oswald Fizzlebender, and it had Teferi as well. And then you have these Soul Lands, so you, it does fix a lot of things. So you can very often go like turn one Soul Land and cast your s- stars and stuff, and then turn two Teferi or whatever. It helps. I even tested a bit uh, two uh, red white list. Um, but without Enlightened Tutor, just one canonist in, in main, one canonist in board to get with uh, Engineer or get it with Khan, and one Angel of the Ruins. Oh, yes. I, I've seen this card. Because it's like a, it's a random commander card, and there's also a, a red one as well that cycles, right? It doesn't exist in foil. What a pity. Why do you tell everyone what this card does? Because I think many people... Ah, it's a... Uh, sorry, it's a... Uh, Seven mana, double white, five colorless artifact, angel, uh, five, seven flying. And uh, when it enters the battlefield, it exiles up to two charged enchantments or artifacts. 
And uh, the funny thing is it has plane cycling for two colorless mana. So contrary to the worm coil engine, whom, which might be dead in your hand if you don't get to, uh, to six mana and you draw it, uh, you can just cycle the angel to get a plane or a plateau in the case of this deck and then uh, weld it in. Nice. But it uh, has, has not proven worthy to play it. No, Wormcoil no. Worm just was better. Yeah, it's one of these nice things where I love that you can, like, your opponent is not going to be able to respond to the cycling at all. You just do it, and then it's there it is in play after the welder thing. But um, yeah, it's, it's a cool card to play with, I guess. But but maybe... it's true, too, for the start where you play Goblin Welder and turn two Engineer. Uh, and uh, as soon as the Worm Coil is in the graveyard, uh, opponent is not able to react anymore to the activation of Goblin Welder. Mm, true, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, guys, I, I could just like keep listening to you talking about all these, these <laughs> ways. So, dude, really, that's amazing. Just, you, I, I can really tell that you guys time. are really, really into into uh, not only Welder, but like Paint as a whole. But Welder, honestly, I think Welder is one of the most exciting cards in the history of magic. I remember when I started playing like Vintage, like in 2005 or something, and Welder was already around and people were like teaching me all the Welder tricks. And back then, I was like wishing that Welder ever became like a card in Legacy. And you guys... Like, I would actually argue Wilder might secretly be one of the top 10 most powerful cards in Legacy. Maybe I'm a little bit too excited. Creatures, you know, the, creatures, the, most, yeah. the most funny thing um, in the last testing sessions were, was really against uh, Daniel's Dinyas, <laughs> um, where he was, uh, I start with turn one Goblin Welder, and he was very proud. Yes, I have a Retrofitter Foundry, Onitopter, Onitopter. And he started to produce these four fours. And I just uh, welded them back. So <laughs> I uh, exchanged the four fours for the uh, Onitopters back in play. GG nerd, let's start from not... the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and he did not have uh, any uh, payoff card. Just just to sing the biggest praises of Golden Welder, which it's just when you have these things where you weld your opponent's stuff, it's just incredible. I had this game against this uh, mono blue like a prison deck online where they had, like, turn one Chalice. Or I was on the play, I guess, I had Welder. They played a Chalice. I played, like, Land and left up Blasks. They had Sai and Urza and Emery or whatever. They had big Tezzeret as well. And they played a turn two Khan. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm fucked. So I, I think I had a Great Furnace as well as my Land. So I bolt the Khan in response, and then the Goblin Welder starts doing his honest work and attacking for a turn. And then he uh, the Khan starts doing stuff and finding things. And then the opponent played, made one little misplay by letting me attack the Khan at some point because I drew two Simeon Spirit Guides to cast a Crater Maker and then have a 2-2 two -two to start attacking. Anyway, Khan got down. And then later in the game, my opponent has like Ghost Quarter uh, Crucible of the Worlds going, so I don't have a land for the rest of the game. I have um, They have an Hysterian Bridge, so if they draw another Khan, I can't attack it, which they do later on. They have more Chalices. They have everything going on. But because of the the Instaring Bridge, they need to keep playing things so I can't attack with this with these stupid idiots in play. And they finally draw a Mox Diamond. So what that does is they cast the Mox Diamond, put it into the graveyard, and they have no cards in hand, so they can't discard lands. So I can then weld oh. in the Mox Diamond and any of their cards. Every turn. Yeah. So they even had yeah. a, they had they had a lattice in play um, from the Khan earlier before I got to finally attack it like enough times. And so I with the lattice in play, I was just killing the goblin welder was killing anything i wanted every turn <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's, it actually that's nice 
And because they're a prison deck, most of their cards just do the same thing or nothing. So it went on for like 10 turns until I finally, they kept had to keep tapping Ancient Tomb to cast their things to stay empty-handed. And I finally got to weld out like three chalices on one, the Insarian Bridge to attack for two, and then finally bolt them <laughs> in just the most insane game on turn 15, where the welder probably killed like 10 lock pieces. Dude, this is exactly why we need more legacy on camera. You literally, you had a welder <laughs> that tapped for Windicate. Yes. So this one mana just, you know, he saw the world coming at him and he blew it right back. Oh, anyway. What's the actual flavor text? Something about an ashtray? Oh. I wrecked your metal guy, but look, I mashed you an ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. I made you an ashtray. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Guys, this, yeah, so if, if people want to play this list, we're going to link Mario's list. We're going to uh, link Callum's list. Callum, if you want to update your list um, according to what you said, just send it to me. Yeah. There's so. a few changes. and But let me stress, like, there's been so many people in the Painted Discord coming in saying, I think I want to make this deck a deck that I play. And even in, in our uh, podcast Discord, a few people have been talking about it. And it's just such an amazing deck to go deep on. And uh, it is solidly pretty high tier two, I say, right now. So you can absolutely build it and do very well and win. Just um, the last questions. The last mm -hmm. question. Uh, are you... Uh... Are you happy with uh, Urza Saga and three Blood Moon effects in the board? Yeah, um, I find the Blood Moons are so good that you, you you trade them off. Like, if I know that I'm bringing all the Blood Moons in, I probably am not cutting the Sagas, but I know that the Blood Moons are so good that if I draw a Saga, it is what it is. And when I'm playing, and I if especially if I have both my opener, I'll just play the the Saga turn one every time, and because you usually get to like. Make a construct turn two, maybe it's pretty rare, but you at least get to tap it for mana in the first two turns, and then you go and search for either a grindstone or a lotus petal. You get two mana off it on the third turn, which is about when you're playing the blood moon anyway. So, I mean, it's it's a bit of a nombo. It definitely comes up, but I find the blood moons are such a strong effect against a lot of things. Like I, I, I bring them in against the four color control decks, and they destroy them. And so both cards are so good. If they answer one of them, you have the other one, and vice versa. I, I never shy down too much against like anti synergies. I always see people, you know, posting a screenshot like, "Oh my god, what bad deck building!" But I, I don't know when when two cards are so powerful, it's it's fine. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I was saying, yeah, like as as we mentioned, there's like the mono red version. There's a blue version. There's a really cool like blue black version with Strix and Tezzeret, Agent Ebolus, which is very cool. Um, there's just so many ways to play it, so I could not recommend painting more. Weren't you the guy who played the show match against Kai? <laughs> yes. yes. Ah, yes, because uh, then big shout out for you. Uh, <laughs> what I added to the list after I saw uh, the show match was uh, in the sideboard the top up. It's so good. I had to uh, pay eighty bucks for it. That kind of <laughs> sucks I'm sorry. because I have to. I have to deck uh, all over with with masterpieces and and foil uh -huh. out. Uh, but I saw it in your sideboard and thought, "Yep, this card I want for sure in my sideboard as well." Yeah, I think you just you you struggle to beat Doomsday without it, especially consistency, consistently, and it's it's mostly there for death and taxes to stop their skyclaves and flicker wisps and all that stuff. Yeah, that's so. that's that's a point about uh, uh, about blood suns. With blood sun, you don't fear death in Texas. You okay. put it, you put it down, and your lands become awesome. Uh, while you have a cantrip, and all his wastelands and vigilant ports become useless. I like it. I like it a lot. 
So yeah, okay, you play mine, I'll play yours next. And, ev- <laughs> and then everyone else will play Painter. Dude. I think we're going to get... <laughs> like so. The Painter mirror yeah. match must be crazy. Like, do you even side out like Painters and Grindstones and Pyroblast? Like, I, I could see that match playing played in many different ways, but... That's I side down crazy. to one Painter in the mirror. And Pyroblast and Red Blast, you just, like, keep them around? I th- I sideboard them out too. As much space <laughs> as you has, have, you, you have. You sometimes leave some in, but like, I think I just bring in, yeah, take out down to one painter and all the blasts. I guess Karn uh, makes it a lot easier to sight them out, right? Yeah, I'm not playing a mirror against Marius' deck. <laughs> <laughs> With all the soul lands and cards. On the other hand, well, I was going to mention that Saga gives you an up, uh, uh, the upper hand, but actually probably doesn't against Bloodsun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Marius' list will absolutely crush the yeah. mirror. So after this podcast, it's going to be the better version because everyone will be playing Painter, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Dude, Painter's crazy. I love it. And we would have yeah. had the very best segue ever imaginable we almost would have had that because next topic we want to talk about the four seasons legacy event in bologna which was kind of top aided by painter but actually not but we will get into that uh just to give you an introduction the four seasons those guys in in italy they have been hosting these tournaments for i think well they already started pre-COVID, right? I think, and and the ideas yes, that you yeah. have, like, yeah, they had it. I I would have loved uh, to go for for these tournaments, but Bologna is so far away. Actually, Bologna is far, not it's, that it's, hard. It's, I thought it was far away, but you have a direct train connection from Munich. Like that's how I went to GP Bologna last time. It's, it's yeah, actually but tra- quite train easy. is train is not an option for me anymore. I like to. Oh, you're too rich uh, for trains. Car. And then it's uh, <laughs> far than uh, Milano. And that, uh, you know, the next time the next thing is the next thing is I don't have uh, any more the guys who want to go to these big tournaments. Because... Yeah, because the train is so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 Maybe if my if, if my if both of my my childs are a bit more grown ups. And then you will take them to the tournament, and they're going to be playing Burn and you know Mono Black Reanimator, and you're like, okay, and he has full pimped out painter for Daddy. <laughs> So yeah, um, this is this is one of the greatest legacy tournaments in Europe. They guess how many players they drew. I mean, you both guys know because I put it in the show notes, or because you saw it. But if you are listening to the podcast, how many players did those guys in Bologna draw for a legacy tournament? They had two hundred and forty players. Like we struggled to get so many players for for a legacy tournament. For example, for the MKM series pre-COVID, and now they have two hundred forty legacy players in Bologna, and that's just amazing to me. It's yeah, so guess, many. I guess it's it's of course it's many, but uh, it's uh, partly for sure uh, due to the fact that uh, the uh, COVID-stressed people are hot on legacy now. Yeah, but that's truly truly another effect, right? Um, it, but to me, it's just a look at numbers. I'm like, yeah, this is this is probably four times or five times as many as I would have expected. Almost. It's also. A ma- massive majority just Italians, right? I know I think it is, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of not a bunch of non-Italians went as well, but really, like, it's that. And so, imagine when things open up more. I I had a flight to go. I bailed last minute because the guy I was going to go with he fr- fractured his ankle, and is also the the tests were going to be expensive. And I just thought it's going to be a bit too stressful. I'm going to go try and go to the next one instead. But um, yeah. I think there's going to be more and more going to these, right? It's going to mix of like more people will start going to them, and maybe, and maybe they just grow and grow and grow. We'll have to yeah. see. 
So yeah. because the tournament is this big, um, we're actually not looking at the top eight. We're looking at the entire top 16 because the difference is sometimes or most of the time difference between top eight and top 16 is really just win percentage uh, or like up score, right? So I compiled all the, the decklist that, which they posted in the Discord. And here is the somewhat underwhelming result of what made top 16. Most played deck in the top 16, six copies Blue Red Delver. Second most played deck in the top 16, four copies, Yorian Death in Texas. <sighs> and that leaves <laughs> okay. us with okay. another six decks that are just one offs Black Red Reanimator, Doomsday, Green White Depth, Cheskai Mentor, because you know it's Italy, so it's gotta be there, <laughs> Yorian Ursa Stompy, which we're gonna talk about in a minute, Hell and. Yeah. Favorite deck of some people in our Discord because I I saw some sad faces when the deck stopped showing up right after uh, Saga like became a thing. Straight up affinity, you know, with hex parasite and all that kind of stuff. So we're also going to be looking into that in a moment. So this is this is the top eight. This is legacy like apes versus sky noodles now. Is this the new dual deck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many? That's a, there's a lot of Delver. I don't. Know this is be... totally understandable. That's. That yeah. is uh, exactly the thing we talked when we uh, discussed the uh, what is the legacy meta game. Uh, Blue Red Delver is probably online to the most played deck, I guess, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's absolute. It's absolute top tier. Um, so it's no surprise that there are um, most copies in the top sixteen. And this is what we will just see from tournaments that have more rounds. It's one, the, the best and most played deck, it's consistent as well. So in events with like five rounds or something, you will see kind of rogue stuff rise to the top. You're like, oh, see, this can win as well. But in this with, how, I don't know, eight rounds with that many players, nine, um, you'll see... Ten, 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 I guess. Ten was, oh, ten, yeah, of course. So you'll see, especially then with like the, the top decks and most powerful decks rising to the top, which have been, yeah, Delver and Death and Daxes. Yeah, yeah. I think it also helps that apparently understand. like Blue Red Diver is, is pretty good in modern from what I hear. So you can yep. easily like play the same deck in both formats. Yeah, you just place you play like Archmage's Charm and Counterspell over Forcible and Days, and it's pretty much the same. Do people actually play yeah. those cards in modern? Just get yeah. your four volcanics and you have the deck. <laughs> it's true. Volcanic is a bit of a difference, but yeah, otherwise you have your you have your threats already. It's exactly the same threats. But um I think a lot of people just also have the the Volks and the the blue shell already, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, getting the Ragavans and Murktides are not a huge, huge cost. I'm really missing the the uh, Chess Guy Saga one deck because if you ask me, I mean, I'm biased because I've been really successful with it lately, but I think mm. that deck is actually even better than Blue Red. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to really say, but it's it's pretty close. But yeah, that, that that's just like something I, I was maybe it's better it's better in like the winners meta game and. In these paper events with long rounds, you still just have a lot of random stuff. Point. And Delve has always been better at like kind of getting out the chaff and just you know dazing, dazing the re- the weird decks and stuff. Whereas the deck that's finely tuned with a lot of removal, you know, could just like face pox and lose to something <laughs> random. You never know. <laughs> oh, dog, uh, you, dude, you're, you're, you're so right. Like, yeah, okay, okay, I'm going to concede yeah. that point. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that, that's a, a hypothetical reason, but yeah. <laughs> I've selected um, five of the deck lists that we've seen in the top eight, so that have like some interesting text on there. Um, spoiler, that none of them are going to be Blue Red Diver, because after looking at the deck list, they're pretty much all the same. Uh, I didn't really see anything interesting in, in those lists. 
And that leaves us with one of the first things I noticed, and that is in the Doomsday list that actually made top 8. And that one plays a second copy of Thassa's Oracle in the sideboard. Now, why would you do the that? The sideboard? Yeah, you I got one, know. the main deck. I mean, otherwise it would be pretty awkward. <laughs> and there's a second copy in the sideboard. Why would you want the second copy of Thassa's Oracle in the sideboard? Can you guys imagine? We need a Doomsday expert. <laughs> You will, have to tell, you'll, you'll have to tell us, I guess. I've seen it before. Um, I'm not quite sure. Just quickly as well, I, I think I I could be wrong here. I don't want to swear by it, but I think I recognize the guy's name as a online grinder as well. If you play against a guy called Clog, K-L-0-G, I think this is him. Okay, uh, his who, real life name is like Luca Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think this is a... Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's him. He's friends with Jax. And he plays a lot of combo online, so he knows his shit is what I'm getting at. So he's probably got a very good reason for this other oracle, but I'm not going to be the one to tell you because I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. So my two no. guesses were, one of them was like just to have the second Thassa's oracle available in the deck in case you like get an unlucky hit of Ragawan, which I guess is already hatching against a really rare and pretty bad scenario. Uh, so I'm, I'm not too sure about that, but that's the first thing that came to mind. And the other one was maybe, you know, there's a weird pile where you want two Thassa's Oracles against Dragobahn because, you know, sometimes you, you have to play mind games with them if, if you don't have the luxury of getting the deterministic kill and by having access to a second Thassa's Oracle. Like, I could almost swear that I've heard Kai, for example, say on one of his streams, if we had a second Oracle, we could do X, Y, Z. And that's why I was wondering, maybe there's a scenario where you want to make a pile with two oracles and then whichever option your opponent like calls you on, you just left the other covered. Yeah, but yeah. ask that him, not ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. So he's got the deep analysis and consider pile. Do you think it's something to do with that? Maybe. <laughs> I, I was I was highly surprised when I played in Aalen, um, uh fifth round against Doomsday. And uh, turn two, he played uh, fetch second underground C and dark ritual, and uh, I just get get ready to 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 to, to blast anything with painter in play, and he taps the second land and plays deep analysis, draw two cards. Okay, make it so. No problem. That's, that's great. Uh, not, I love when I love when dark rituals use like weirdly in combo decks, like in uh, Phoenix. I'd very often like go turn two dark ritual, cast a Phoenix. Oh yeah, we had a Phoenix deck as well there. Yes, <laughs> you know, you know, I know how. For example, Predict was brought back. I wonder if we'll ever get to a point where just value deep analysis is gonna come back, where where Doomsday is gonna be like, you know what, we're gonna play more of those. I mean, it's awkward with the life loss theme in the deck and everything. But I, I could <laughs> almost imagine... Theme. yeah, you're really, you're really selling it here. <laughs> <laughs> I could almost imagine, like, a month from now, people are going to be like, maybe we want that second deep analysis, you know? Maybe in the board, you know? Dude, I think, I think you're trying to sell something to the wrong crowd, though. Like, hey, Doomsday fans, do you want to lose more life? I, I'm pretty sure they're going to say no. I mean, and plus, list. with Predict, you are perfectly prepared against enemy and land tutor. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and grindstone and everything, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> this is just an anti-enlightened tutor parade for fair reason. Okay, this, so it, if you guys know thing, what the he second... also has, two, he also has two watery graves in the deck because he wants to lose more life. So maybe you'll sell him actually. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you guys know what what the point of the second Thessalonians arc is, um, hit us up on Twitter at EternalMTG and let us know. 
the second list I brought to us today. And there were three copies of Yorio and Texas in the top eight. I compared them all. They looked pretty much the same for the most part. Interestingly, all of them played Urza Saga, which I think is pretty much the standard now in, in these Yorion lists. One choice of cards stuck out to me and actually i put the copy of the deck into uh, the copy of the card into our show notes because i had no idea what it was mall of the skyclaves i mean any, i've, I've guys been mauled by does? this card in, in limited a few times so i'm very familiar with it it's uh you actually did, would have known what it does yeah of course okay why, why don't you tell us it's a three mana artifact it's two and a white and it gives the creature plus two plus two flying and first strike and when it ETBs, you can equip it to the to a target creature. But I can't remember how much it costs to actually equip because it never comes up. Well, it costs two colorless and two white to equip. So I guess that's okay. something you can do in the deck, even though it's a little bit costly. So oh, yeah. what? I guess this is like your secondary equipment that you will later put on your Better Skull or your your uh, Caldera Complete or something. Is, is that how it works? So do they have four equipments in there? Uh, I can see Kaldra, Better Skull, Chitter, and this one, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. I guess there's no Sword of Fire and Ice anymore. Which is weird when, like, Blue Red Delve is the, the thing to kill. I but... don't know. What, I don't... <laughs> Sword of Fire Ice always felt, to me at least, like an auto include in Death in Texas. But I, I guess I'm completely out uh, concerning Death in Texas. Please. I have the don't deck built in my, in, my, in my backpack, but there it's may may rest forever <laughs> you know that the deck, I, that's been a really long time since maris played this if the deck is actually in your backpack i mean you, you still take it to your testing sessions right yeah no one wants to play it <laughs> I, I actually so i have it i have the cards for it as well and i've never played it in my life in paper i just i yeah can't bring myself to do it but i don't know i, I quite like the you're in the saga I, I do yeah i, I like i like i like what solitude did, did to the deck a lot we talked about it a few episodes ago and i think for solitude has been such a huge boon to the deck ah maybe this is an equipment you can fetch to pitch to solitude we worked it out there we go oh my god this Ooh, is so smart it's a white equipment yeah that's true yeah that was mostly a joke but you know maybe it comes up <laughs> i mean people sometimes pitch yorion to to solitude in a pinch you yeah know? <laughs> that's real you could of course pitch the stoneforge himself as well yeah that's but true. then you wouldn't get like the, the body right yeah <laughs> you need <yeah>. that squire <laughs> Actually, just off the top for a second, Yorian in that Bomberman deck with eight forces was pitched a lot. It's actually amazing for that for that use. It reminds me of the use of Yorian in like these uh, Atmosium Storm lists when they had uh, Farsa Figure and played that Kahira God or whatever. Yeah, Lo- yeah, <laughs> loved it. Not Elemental Tribal is actually yeah. just a pitch card. So before we move, some- yeah. So before we move on, by the way, shoutouts to the the Callum Tech here in the sideboard for Curse of Silence. You tried to sell me on this card, right? A couple of episodes Ooh, ago. Oh, I didn't see that. That's cool. Yeah, because I, I again, like we said before, it looks bad on paper. I, but then when you start to think about it, how it plays and interacts with the combo decks currently played in Legacy and Death and Taxes, you just want like a one mana card that does something. Like you'd even play one like Mana Tide or something. But obviously, this this works fine. Yeah, but yeah. why not Deafening Silence? Because this is really good against Doomsday. Um, ah, okay. Like, Deafening Silence is not going to stop a Doomsday. And if 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 some, if Doomsday goes like Tome on Dark Ritual, Doomsday against Death Attacks, they probably just think they've won. Curse of Silence, named Thassa's Oracle, there's a very high chance that they can't even cast it in the pile left. 
Um, and if they can, you, if you cast it before they actually Doomsday, just naming Doomsday is going to buy you so much time to get your ports and Wastelands and Thalia and Spirit of the Labyrinth online. I think it's super, super legit against Doomsday, which is probably Death of Texas' worst matchup and pretty heavily played. So, yeah. Okay, you're, you're starting to sell me on. Last time I wasn't convinced, but now I, I, I can at least see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moving on, we're going to the spiciest of them all. This is... And it says on the decklist, blue, white, Yorian, Karn, Urza. Imagine if you had like somebody, imagine five years ago, you just like gave this decklist to somebody. They wouldn't know what Yorian was. But if they read Karn, Urza as a deck name, they would be like, ooh, this must be broken, so right? Cool. <laughs> See, this, this is, yeah, this is, we're in my land now. Artifact bullshit. I love it. Um, it's kind of similar to the Bomberman list, except for it has obviously um, Karns and, uh, yeah, Karns and Chalices. Over the the combo, the... Esper Sentinel as well, right? Oh yeah, so it has Esper Sentinel and it has four Ethersworn Cannonist as well. Um, I love that you just get like a lot of free wins with Cannonist, and Cannonist is still very good against all the Cantrip decks. I think people kind of underestimate it there, but against anything relying on expressive iteration and obviously ponder and brainstorm and stuff, it really, really, really slows them down, and that's what these kind of artifact based decks want. So I like that. Yeah, I can see this deck really pulling, like doing work. Only three Emery. I'm, I'm suddenly off the deck. Yeah, <laughs> uh, always, always play the full play set of Emery. Yeah, I don't know. And that's a lack what, of respect. What, what I don't get, uh, what I don't like in this deck, is uh, it's an eighty card, eighty cards deck uh, with force of wills and only twenty blue cards. I just counted them. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think when you have Yorian as a companion, the blue count kind of matters a lot less because because you have one at all times you've paid the three mana to get it and it does come up well especially when you have so much fast mana so I, I guess the idea is that in the matchups where you really 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 want to force something the the late game value of yorian isn't as important right so that that's oh, okay. kind of thinking i also found like playing the the bomb man version it came up pretty commonly where you have a force or two forces and you just have to not play your blue cards and it is a, it is a cost it kind of sucks you need to make this decision at the time where, like, what are the chances of me dying next turn versus drawing a blue card or, like, drawing a force. And there were some times against combo where I would just not play a Psy or an Urza because I'm like, okay, I'm drawing two cards off Bulbuls. I need to hope I draw a force. And you do get rewarded by not playing the blue cards. It is definitely a kind of awkward thing. I think the Bombman list I played had a bit more than this, but still not a hugely high blue count. I like um, your I like your Bomberman idea more because yeah. as a, what what I like in this list are the four Ethos One Cannonist. I'm I'm I think I'm the world's greatest fan of Ethos One Cannonist. Julian, I, I'm here as well. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, but what I don't like is stuff like Esper Sentinel. It uh, feels mm. like a bit low impact, and even with four copies of Chalice of the Void, casting cost one gets gets worse and worse. Yeah, ah, I, I think Esper Sentinel has a place. It's a pretty powerful card, but in the the aggro decks, uh, you want your Ravagers kind of stuff. You want to be or a combo like even maybe uh, Oryx Salvagers and Bombman kind of yeah, combo. Yeah, for sure. You both, want, but you not want, together with Chalice. Yeah, yeah. You want to be threatening the opponent enough so that they have no choice but to play into the Sentinel's ability, and then you'll draw cards off it. So yeah, um, I like the deck idea overall. I think blue white artifacts with Yorin is a is an approach to to take in the format and it's good but i would also agree with you i'd be looking to cut the esp sentinels the chalices play for Psy, play for emery and go from there 
I'm just looking through the rest of it, and then you get oh, it's got a Sky Sovereign console flagship in the side. <laughs> I love that one. You know, if if you make like if you're the person in charge of making pre-constructed decks for Wizards, this is the kind of card you look at and you're like, you're going to slam this bad boy in the sideboard. <laughs> uh, it's, I've killed a lot of collect roofs with that, so it's, it's, it's a good one. <laughs> so if you, if you want to play something that's just as artifact-themed as the deck we just talked about, but it has a little more oomph to it, like in the early game, here's the deck that's finally coming back. It used to make a big splash in Legacy when like all these, these uh, Modern Horizon 2 artifacts were spoiled. And now we see it in the top 16 again, and that is straight up in-your-face aggro affinity. And for those who don't know, that means far as per Sentinel, far on your top top, because nothing says aggro like a 0-2 uh, like <laughs> flyer. <laughs> four Stalker yeah. Serpent, four, uh, two Vault Scourge, two Emery, four Thought Monitor, two Memnite, and one Hex Parasite. Four Thought Casts, and then, yeah, typical mana base that you would expect featuring for Urza Saga. And... For oh yeah, for analysis, right? That that, that that's the equipment that's kind of like a creature, right? So how does yeah. it actually work? So it's a three mana artifact and has living living weapons, so it comes into play with a zero zero germ attached to it. And the creature equipped to it gets plus one plus one for each artifact and enchantment you control. Um this is like such a huge boon to this deck as well. Um it also equips for two mana, if I remember correctly, which is very, very cheap and like super affordable. So um I can't imagine ever playing Affinity with less than four of this. There's this weird thing where Affinity doesn't want three drops because it plays on the same curve as as a saga making tokens. It's kind of awkward sometimes, but I think given the choice, you're kind of happy with saga making a token on the third chapter and then playing Nettle Cyst and just applying so much pressure. And then it could be into Ornithopter and it's just really powerful even in legacy it's quite funny to say it's also really sweet with esper sentinel like again we said before with esper sentinel you either want it to be a deck which like pressures your opponent into playing cards into it and not being able to pay or something that like pumps its power and toughness so putting nettle cyst on a esper sentinel suddenly your opponent has to like pay seven or eight mana otherwise you draw a card which obviously they can't do so (laughs) you'll draw a card pretty often this deck might be uh the first real aggro deck we saw in years yeah, because it's, new, it's, it's really no, 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 no disruption, no counters, no removal, just all in beatdown. Bring the beats. And I think sideboard, I... I, sideboard, four canonists against combo, four sorts to Plosius against, uh, don't I think know, it's what, what, whatever, yeah. Dark Devs. Um, I feel like uh, you'd want four canonists main deck in this, though. Like, totally agree. Always yeah. canon in a, in a deck <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> That well, Canonist does not hurt yourself a bit because you only have artifacts. I see no reason why you should not uh, yeah. play more. Yeah, I think another what's, big what's, what's, what's nature's, nature's Chant in the sideboard? I don't know this card. Nature's Chant. Ooh. I can't remember either. Oh, this is this is usually my job to remember something straight away. I usually look these up because I, I thought it was like the, the green-white disenchant, but I didn't say anything. Uh, okay, it's a, it's a green-white disenchant. It's yeah. a disenchant. Uh, exactly. yes. Like the moment uh, I did spring it, I was like, oh, mark. I must be wrong. So <laughs> you just could play uh, disenchant too. It would be the same. Oh, yeah, I wonder why. Um, this is bad against Stone Cold Serpent in the mirror. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. By the way, I love the Hall of Heliod's generosity because I guess that way you can put your Urza Sagas back on top and, and like grind really hard. Is that the idea? Uh, I tried to make a like a lands based deck with that and like Shark Typhoon and Sagas when it first came out. 
it's just way too dirty, uh, even <laughs> for me. But it's kind of sweet. <laughs> this card I even know from from, from, my, from my modern deck. <laughs> yeah, the the idea was you'd like with the first saga you go and get expedition map, which gets Hall of Heroes generosity oh, God, to rebuy the saga. Oh, sweet one, sweet one. Yeah, it's it's a combo with one card. Marius, don't fall the plot of bullshit, okay? <laughs> uh, Keep playing whatever you're playing. Don't go don't go into that cabal of crazy dirty people. That's yeah, I, I I've I mean, seen them and what they do, and it's a little bit crazy. Obviously, but Utsa Saga for expedition map is a thing I saw quite often. Mm-hmm. It's in it's in Legacy Lands too. Always as, yeah. as a one off. Obviously, you have standstill and play the whole time, so. <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> that's how it goes awesome so yeah this is this is um four seasons i think this was the autumn tournament that's probably or they call it fall like depending on where you're from um we... yeah i think they do one every season yeah. after the name so four per year which is very so cool. smart so smart they should be yeah. marketing <laughs> <laughs> now um, the reason we actually didn't present you a winner or anything like that is uh because everybody got the cute no because they the top eight just split and they didn't play it out so there's there's no glory to be delivered um but yeah there's there's still the top 16 so that that's something uh and before we like close it out actually um i teased it earlier um unfortunately there would have been a paint or actually we don't know whether there would have been a paint or right i think um they got dequeued during their last round this time run out or something I, I don't really know too much about it but usually when stuff like this happens and they, they haven't made a public announcement yet we just saw what was posted in the painter discord um apparently something about uh allegedly bribery i don't know what's going on but that's also something that happens in in basically every paper tournament i play and especially when there's like people involved who are not used to these situations for example in one of the rounds i recently played my opponent was like okay so what about we split and the loser of the die roll no the winner of the die roll concedes the match that was like it was blowing my mind like <laughs> that was like just too far for me and that was like you know what let's just play and 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 be done yeah, with that yeah. but there's i mean most people are kind of aware of it but I, I would also argue that probably most people haven't been in a situation where this actually comes up in a high stakes tournament and then they don't really know what to like actually there's a lot of famous stories right i think anorak once got dequeued for for doing something weird and like it, it, he didn't mean any kind of like ill world or something i think and he like jokingly rolled a dice on camera no he didn't jokingly roll never do this <laughs> he actually rolled no. a dice to to determine okay, the outcome of the match kind of but yeah uh. that's a different story <laughs> but it, yeah it's, like basically what, what i'm saying is like when, when you first get to these tra- situations you often don't really know what's supposed to happen um I've been in a situation where my opponent straight up asked me what I would give him if he conceded. And I mean, that's already like, at that point, you can't really argue that you're like innocent in the sense of, oh, I didn't know better. Like if, if you straight up ask for bribery, that's something. But there's also situations where people like get dequeued and there's an underlying reason for that. But before I continue my monologue here, what do you guys think about that? I get very frustrated when these when I hear these stories come up because, first of all, I, I do agree that there needs to be something in place to kind of stop uh, bribery because there is always a third person losing out when something happens and someone like concedes or whatever getting in. There's someone not getting in because someone else that's someone else in. It's it's a bit of a shady gray area and there's definitely like you know collusion going on sometimes. 
what drives me crazy is when you have these people like that you described that just don't know the rules and they don't know that they're meant to be going to a judge and saying, judge, please tell me exactly what I need to say because I don't remember what you have to say. I would go to a judge and be like, yeah, tell me. I wish that the rules weren't so strict. And I get that at higher levels, this needs to happen. You know, the pro tour, it needs to be by the book to the letter because there's a lot of background stuff going on. But at events like this, like 250 people or less, I just don't see how, like the positives coming out of this such a bad feeling when someone in the last round, their intentions are so clear. They want to split. They both want to top eight, whatever. And then the judge feels like it's not even the judge's fault at all. They're going by what they've been told. But I feel like I'd like a lot of a lot more leniency in this last rounds where they can be like, look, I know what you're trying to do. You're not allowed to do this, but I'm going to intervene and tell you not to do that rather than just the snap. You're gone. Goodbye. See you later kind of thing. That's what drives me crazy. So I know there's two sides to every story, you know, like, you know, sometimes it was, someone would say, oh, yeah, I had no idea, but actually they did and vice versa. But I think, like, Julian, you have a really good story about how you were once not caught like with marked cards, but the cards were marked and you were taken to the side. And Kim Warren, a quite well-known and fantastic judge, asked you lots of questions and you thought she was just having a conversation with you, but actually was trying to work out your history and, you know, at the end of it, she realized your intent wasn't there to cheat. And so you, you you were fine, which you weren't cheating. And you didn't really have marked cards on purpose. But I think intent plays a huge part in it. And, you know, it's not up to the judges to play detective. But if they're not sure, I don't think going to this, like this hammer off the bat straight away, DQ people if they just say the wrong thing is the way to go. And I just seem to always hear these stories about someone, you know, like their whole tournament ruined. They're about to top eight. They're having a great time and super happy about it. And then it just comes crashing down it's like just taken away in a moment so i'm rambling it just frustrates me hearing these things i don't know if this person was actually you know legit got it wrong or not i you know i don't have an opinion on that because we don't know enough about it but it feels like every single time i hear this kind of general story i just feel bad for the person Harris, what do you think i I think I have nothing more to add here. I <laughs> don't think yeah. the question. I like it. He, he said. He said. <laughs> that, that's exactly, exactly what you my, say. You know, thoughts, when somebody is a because suggests this I, I I witnessed uh, these situations quite often at Magic Card Market tournaments, and um, the judges have their hands bound in these situations. They can't mm -hmm. do any other thing because the people are the people are not able to uh, make clear what they want to their opponent and then they start uh, talking things they should not talk yeah let, let me stress this is not like this is no hard feeling to the judges i do understand and yeah, also, i know i know yeah. i know and to, to everyone listening as well don't blame your judges for this they have i think it's the system that's flawed completely these judges are told that they have to do that and if they don't do it they're not following the rules and probably lose being a judge and stuff so please if in this situation don't ever get angry at the judges I, I i completely assume that a lot of them do it without wanting to do it but i wish that they would overhaul the system because especially now with like high level play just basically gone there's no gps there's no pro tour until we have some something in the future it just feels even less necessary to have these heavy-handed rules like this so i mean maybe we see some change but yeah i really hate hearing about it so i have two thoughts about that the one is a little bit um less meta level and that is basically i think even if people don't know about certain things that they can't say they still are in it with the intention of 
let's bribe or let's let somebody induce let, let's induce somebody to bribe me and I would think no matter which kind of competition you're in, whether it's like sports, magic, or pretty much any kind of formal competition that has like a, a set of rules, I would think that common sense would be that bribery is wrong. And even if you don't know about it, if I think if you already have internalized the idea that bribery is wrong, you will probably not fall, you would never ask what are you going to give to me or, or anything like that. I would agree with you, not in the context of magic, but IDs and drawing and stuff is so internalized yeah, in magic. That's that's that, what that's I want, another problem. Yeah. That's so what I wanted to add to my point. Um, okay. Because at the same time, if we as players or a community have so formalized this idea of this being okay, then we basically, without codifying it in the rules or in the policies, we we kind of made that an accepted thing in the sense of like, for, like the most common thing is like when two people go to, actually, if, people, if, yeah, if two people ID to go into a top eight, that's kind of like manip manipulating the outcome of a game to, to their advantage. And I hate that, but I, I still do it like when there's money on the line. But... I think at that point we should consider like how do we how do we okay it's two things sorry for, for, for rambling a bit here but there, there's just like so many things going on one part of it is completely tied to the broadcasting and excitement aspect but i'm totally like not talking about that right now because if, if when it comes to like broadcasting and making magic and legacy more exciting and and, uh, and stuff like that then there's completely different things to do compared to what you need to do in order to give people a good experience with regards not being qualified for things they like Callum kind of argues shouldn't be qualified for I don't know I, I I just think pretty much any kind of scenario that comes down to qualifying somebody disqualifying somebody for for stuff that happens comes with some kind of negative intent like I, I have a hard time actually imagining a scenario there probably are some that aren't coming to mind right now where people would be disqualified without any ill intent on their part. Like, like yeah, like, like, for example, like the the, 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 the Anorak scenario, right, we talked about, where his opponent asked him to concede and he didn't want to be like the bad guy to be like, oh, no, sorry, I can't concede. And you know what? I'm actually going to roll the die to figure out whether I'm going to concede to you or not. So it's, it's like not my responsibility. I, I can see like there was nothing for Anorak in it, right? So that, that's mm -hmm. like the famous scenario. So I guess that's that's one good scenario where actually somebody was disqualified without any ill intent. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's actually a good point. So maybe this that... is This is where the, the judges then need to have the conversation with Anorak and work out the intent. And I think that probably very quickly, Anorak would be like, look, I'm locked either way. I'm, you know, having fun with my opponent and I can't decide because it's him or someone else getting in. So he's rolling the dice to like make a decision for himself and not truly determine the outcome of yeah. the game, although it kind of was. Um, this is where, you know, like the judges' hands are tied, as we said, and they had to do that. And it's just so unfortunate that yeah. that's the and case. That's, that's part of my underlying event. And by the way, for the sake of completion, I think it actually wasn't about um, concession or not, but it was about like whether they restart the game um, because oh, opponent made a mistake with well, Mulliganing. And I think at that point, it's actually, okay, this is going, going way off topic. At that point, I think it's actually... A weird thing of the judge to to put that kind of decision on a player because you really shouldn't put that kind of decision on a player you just like make your call as a judge and you don't totally be like agree. oh do you want to be the nice guy or do you not want to be the nice guy because i think that's horrible that's just like 
so much pressure on somebody and yeah um yeah. but anyway i think on much bigger pic the much 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 bigger picture is that wizards always or not always but especially since the early 2000s wanted to pre prevent magic from having any kind of aura of like you know shadiness bribery um or like gambling is another big thing right so they, they, they implemented these these really harsh penalties of the queuing people just so to heavily disincentivize people from ever getting like into a situation where they would be like hey here's some extra money you know get me into the top eight you're gonna have some fun partying while i play the top eight and and i think wizards really 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 wanted to stay as far away as possible from that kind of stuff and i think yeah, that's why we have they such, did a good such job in this, i think I think they did, they did a good job and i think it had great great um con um basically effect on the game but at the same time what i want to say is um now i lost my train of thought <laughs> maybe uh, i could help it remind you like i think maybe two possible solutions to this could be one give the judges a, like less of hands tied and they can try and work out the intention if they are unsure sure go ahead like DQ the player as you would normally, but give you like just this little freedom to see that the person, like in that case, clearly wasn't malicious. He wasn't getting money out of it, and like you know, you'll have these conversations with players, and some of them won't end up being DQ'd, and it won't be a bad feelings. Or again, with like the moving away from high level play, like I do agree that this is probably necessary for the kind of pro tour levels where you know there's a lot of money on on the line. I get that, but maybe introduce another like tier of REL where you have professional and then this like mid-level 500 or under kind of player event yeah, that sounds reasonable the last thing sounds more reasonable to me because uh let's assume you play at uh the pro tour uh you should you should know your stuff mm -hmm. and don't do and don't do uh any thing that just goes in the set direction yeah, you should know your stuff, but another another level like a regular competitive uh, pro uh, and uh, putting up a fourth sounds not like the worst idea. Yeah, like your average MKM player probably uh, you know a lot of them won't know exactly how to say it at the end, or they just won't even know that this kind of thing exists. And being DQ'd will come as a complete oh, yeah. shock and surprise. I think that's actually the most common thing, isn't it? Not that they don't know how to say it, but they just don't know this thing exists in the first place. Yeah, And, and then that's, it that, comes and bang. That's basically where I just like lost my train of thought, but now I got it back uh, again. And <laughs> what I wanted to conclude with was that I think if in general as a community, and I mean, everybody's part of that, the judges, wizards, players, store owners as well, uh, tournament organizers if we wanted to uphold that kind of standard then there needs to be done a lot more with regards to like player education what you can and when you can what you cannot do i noticed that like five or six years ago judges really 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 started announcing several times before the start of the last round what you can and what you can't do like especially with regards to like you can't offer your opponent anything in ex exchange for setting a match result and stuff but i think we should probably do even more like if we, if you want to have such strong like i don't even want to call them harsh standards because i think like i mentioned earlier i think a lot 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 of times there is a certain level of ill intent involved with regards to bribery mm -hmm. so I, I i'm not I, I i'm not too sold on like really reducing the penalties but i can see like working more with regards to like figuring out intent and stuff 
because I, I have a lot of trust in like judges being able to figure out intent like people are be always like oh you can't enforce that you can never know what they really think but no i think and, and judges are i think i think giving the, ju- giving the judges some discretion you would get some intent ill intent slip through and there is a, a downside to it but at the same time you will also have a lot of people like you know not get dq'd where they had no ill intent at all and you've like you know ruin their tournament they might not even play again or, or that kind of tournament or at the, at the very least they'll feel terrible for like the week following i think you'll get more good out of it than bad overall if you just give the, the judges this discretion um, I, i'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt the only thing for me is that i i there's like i've seen this happen a lot of times right uh, like we all have played uh, a lot of tournaments in, in europe yeah. all over the years and i've seen this happen so many times and i've been witness to like these things happening at tables next to me like so many times and i would argue like 90 percent, like okay let's say 80 this is not like 90 let's something like 80 percent. the person who got dequeued had the intent of like bribing or being bribed and i think that that alone is enough to to Okay, maybe you shouldn't DQ them. Okay, maybe you should give them a match loss so they miss out on top eight, but they still get their top sixteen bonus. So you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't really mm-hmm. be like, oh, I'm willing to, to discuss <laughs> this because I'm not in a position to make these changes. But you know, and yeah. and thinking about it, what would be appropriate? Yeah, I'm not sure that there's another solution. I, I think if you like again, if you give the judges this like little bit of wiggle room, I think it's fine. Like if they're not sure continue with the dq you would then still catch some players that had no intent ill intent as well and so it's not perfect but i think you'd be able to worm out some of the few that didn't have ill intent and you would save their tournaments and stuff i think the numbers might be surprising at the end of it but it's very hard to say like again we are yeah it's, it's hard to find the intent of players sometimes i think that's where you would just have to be like we can't tell we're not sure sorry yeah, that that's actually goes back to what what you mentioned about like Kim, right? When she interviewed me, because I also mm-hmm. was always like, yeah, judges can judges like really figure out intent and stuff. And then the way she interviewed me, and like the interview actually started way before the investigation began. And I think I told the story in our Discord and maybe even on a podcast once. But she like she walked me to the judge table where the investigation was taking place, and like all the while, like it was actually on the other side of the hall. We, I thought I was gonna go there to be a witness to something wrong my opponent might have done like i was gonna be like okay they're gonna be asking me asking me about like how he shuffled or anything and then she just like made small talk and she asked me oh how long have you been playing vintage stuff and and uh is this your first vintage tournament like i tried oh no i I only play legacy like i borrowed this deck from a friend from a friend who like doesn't play anymore but like he still has his power and some other cards and that basically like that's what that's how i got the deck because i didn't own any of the vintage cards and then later on after I was like declared not guilty or whatever you call that, they she told me, yeah, this is just like it added up. Like everything I asked you about before, I, I didn't even remember that. She was like, yeah, this this is just like sounds like that's what happened. And by the way, the backstory was that the guy got the deck. Okay, it's super complicated. Basically, we, I have two friends. Another one had a vintage deck, and the first friend took the vintage deck from the second friend, took out the forces and the metal missteps, and put it in the vintage deck that I borrowed from him. Same sleeves, but a different kind of wear. Before the tournament, I even asked her, Chase, it's fine. And they were like, oh, sure. And then she was like, actually, there's a difference in where that you can tell. And long story short, that's how it happened. And ever since, I've been so convinced the judges are probably a thousand times better at figuring out intent than people who would usually write, oh, you can never really know, I actually think. Yep. 
I agree. Put the trust in them. Sounds good. So, I think we're going to wrap it up here. It's been about two hours. When is your next London Legacy Monthly going to come up? Next one is the second week and second Saturday of November. Is that the 11th? Oh, God, I'm so bad with dates. But uh, anyway, in a few weeks, uh, two weeks and a bit. So, this one, I'm going to be playing Painter again. So, yeah, <laughs> best of luck for you. Best of, of luck. Course. Thank you. Thank you. I have a Bob Ross t shirt I'm, I'm wearing just for it. Do you really? <laughs> Yes. You gotta you gotta uh, put it like on at Eternal MTG. Okay, I will, I will, I will. <laughs> and speaking of that, if you wanna see more of us at Eternal MTG, if you wanna see more of me, I'm hopefully gonna be streaming a lot more again on Twitch TV slash it's Julian. Uh people can find you Callum on I think at Whitefaces MTG on Twitter and yep. Do you, do you use the streamer? Is that something you've we've put on the back burner for now? Yeah, I haven't streamed for a long time. I've got so many things going on. Um just haven't found the energy or time for it in a long time. So if people want to see you, they must go to a London Legacy Monthly. Exactly. Yes. Sounds good. And Marius, where can people like talk to you? Where can they find out more about the Gospel of Blood Sun? Uh, on via via Facebook um, or via you. If they ask you, uh, you <laughs> yeah. can put the secretary. questions further to me, of course. No, it's so funny when somebody only has like their Facebook as a contact. That's you know, like when twenty years ago somebody only had like a fax machine. And yeah, email I, have, I have WhatsApp too, of course. But <laughs> oh yeah, let's see, uh, let's share your phone number. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think nah, you don't. Nah, nah, nah. You, you don't need more That's if you have if you have Julian as your personal assistant. It's fine. Yeah, of course. Julian is the best personal assistant you can have. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm going to put that on my CV. Nice. <laughs> and if you want to support your personal assistants when it comes to Legacy, you can join our Patreon on patreon.com slash everydayeternal or you can leave an e a review on Apple Podcast, which helps out climbing the rankings. If somebody's trying to find a good Legacy podcast, they, you know, maybe they sample up on us. That would help us out quite a bit. And with that, big shout outs to our biggest supporters on the Eternal Witness tier. Tommy Hinks, Testacula, Sebastian Hollager, Guillaume, Jake, and Severin Schwarzhuber, and our longtime Grizzlebrand tier supporters, Victor Benatzt, Batsche Batz, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henrik Korkutz, Tom Hap, Bill Schlichting, and Paragon Games in St. Louis. Thank you so much. Marius, thanks for coming on. Everybody, join the London Legacy Monthly, come to Etc. Rising, or wherever you are, host your own proxy legacy tournaments. It's amazing. We've seen the scene rejuvenated like nothing before in my entire life. It's amazing. And with that, have a great morning, evening, afternoon. See you again next time. Bye-bye. Ciao, everyone. Goodbye and have fun. Bye.